Hey, Real Nerds. There's many ways to enjoy the Real Nerds podcast. You can listen to us on Stitcher, iTunes, and now Spotify and iHeartRadio. You can see what we're up to around town by following us at Real Nerds on Instagram. And if you want to send us your thoughts, you can email us at realnerds at gmail.com or call us at 720-6NERDS5. Like us on Facebook at Real Nerds Podcast or tweet us at Real Nerds. And now on with the show. Hey, this is Adventure Lounge. My name's Jagger. And I'm Zach. And we're on Real Nerds. Come check out the awesome crossover episode. This is Real Nerds Podcast, unofficially the official podcast of Denver Pop Culture Con 2021 and beyond. I am Ryan, joined again on Zoom by Brad, Zach, and Corinne. And every week on Real Nerds Podcast, we podcast about a new movie that we haven't podcasted about before. I don't know how else to say it anymore. It's, this is what, week 16? <laughs> no, this is, this is fine. This is the starting stages of your new introduction. Yeah. I totally get it. Yes. Um... But uh, I picked this week, and I decided to be a total asshole and pick the most depressing, violent movie of all time. Um, so our film this week is Day of the Dead. Um, the darkest day in horror. The darkest day in horror. Um, Corinne, did you end up watching it? You did? All right. <laughs> so Zach and I are fans of this. Brad and Corinne have never yeah. seen this. So it'll be interesting cool. to hear people talk about it. Um, we'll also talk about movies that are coming out on Blu-ray, movie news, and films we've been watching or shows we've been watching throughout the week. Blacklist. And, uh... <laughs> <laughs> Blacklist hasn't been on the air since, like, April, Ryan. Uh, really? Then why are we talking about it after April? Because you brought it up. Because every uh, time I talk, Kellen says, Blacklist Lady. Yeah, well, Corinne sent all the nerds in the rage with her hundred movies you have to see before you die, and uh, you can you can read that article on um, realnerdspodcast.com. dot uh, com. You know, because she mentioned that um, in her rebuttal to Brad about why Star Trek twenty oh nine was on there and not Wrath of Khan or something else is that you know it's easier for people to get on board with the two thousand and nine, and I re my rebuttal of that is I actually watched Star Trek movies out of order and um, I never was lost in them. And I think the Wrath of Khan is a brilliant film. So, um, but also is the reason to see a movie before you die that is accessible? Like, should it be the, like you have to see this cause it's the best. Yes. <laughs> well, what you don't like Star Trek 2009. I think it's, it's a decent movie, but like, you know, the movie you need to see before you die is Wrath of Khan. Yeah, I'm, 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 in, I'm, in, I'm in Brad's. And then you have Shrek on there and not Pinocchio. Just weak. Guys, Yo, shit everyone's weak. wrong. <laughs> so to answer your thing about Wrath of Khan is I said when I made my list, I only put movies on there that I'd seen. And I haven't seen Wrath of Khan, so I couldn't put it on the list. What? Wow. <laughs> Brad, Brad, put the gun down. Put the gun down. <laughs> uh, Corinne, you need to watch Wrath of Khan. That's just teasing, buddy. 
or not need. You should. I, I told like Brad to put the gun down, and Kellen's like, "Let me see." <laughs> I'm gonna kill myself, Kellen. <laughs> oh, oh, there's a piranha plant. I don't oh, think God. I've seen any of the original series movies. Oh really? Oh, oh well, I... start with five. <laughs> <laughs> um, Brad. Uh, just so you know, Corinne, I, I was never a big fan of the Star Trek TV show, the original series. Um, and Brad, I don't know, maybe 15 years ago, he said, hey, man, you really should watch Star Trek six. I said, OK. And I watched it and it was good. And then I watched uh, the Rathacon. And then I went and saw Star Trek four, both Rathacon and Star Trek four. I saw at uh, midnight it's at the Mayan, I think. Is that where we went, Brad? Probably. Yeah. Well, I think yeah. uh, like I showed you Star Trek six and then Star Trek 2009 came out and you're like, yeah, it's a cool character. So I'll watch. Yeah. Two. Yeah. Cause so yeah, I totally, I, and I might've saw four before I saw two. I can't remember. Um, Cause now I, I watch them all the time. So yeah, you watch them out of order. I think you went six, four, two. Yeah. And then, and then I went back one. and got the Blu-ray set. So then I watched them in order and um, the guys warned me that Star Trek one isn't, like the best, but I actually enjoyed it. Um, yeah. And uh, then, I mean, Wrath of Khan is a brilliant film. And yeah. three is meh. Four is brilliant. It's also on my film explosion list. You can check that out. Um, three is just a weird hurdle you've got to get through. Like, but it's yeah. like, it's, it's not terrible. Yeah, it's, it's not as bad as five. Five's pretty rough. <laughs> um, has its moments. Like, I, yeah. I like five. Like for silly reasons, but it's yeah. not like it's not great. No. But six it's is cool. It's a, like a murder mystery movie. Yeah, but we're yeah. all forgetting the best Star Trek movie, which is Insurrection. It's clearly the best one. It's clearly the one that everybody loves. But anyway, of all I the real have... nerds, Zach, you're the most yep. lame. <laughs> yeah, I do have a bone to pick with uh, Corinne, though, because uh, I'm, I'm looking at her old Hollywood classic section, and I, I will say that uh, uh, Lady Vanish is not on there, you know, like very, very I little Hitchcock. Do Hitchcock movies. Can't put all of them on there. You North did put North two Cary Grant films, so I'll let it slide. Yeah, I guess so. Well, actually, no, you do have Rear Window on here, so I will give you that, but. I, I I thought for sure you probably would have put the lady vanishes in there. I also love that under musicals you have sister acts one and two and you put in parentheses the duology. <laughs> and I was like, that would be the best way for Criterion to package it. And is sister act really considered a musical? <laughs> oh. I'm singing it. I mean, this is a musical. Okay. When I looked on a list that was like 40 best musical movies, it was on there. So. Really? You think they're... Oh, I haven't seen that movie in a long time. I guess by that logic, we can call Blazing Saddles a musical because they'll never get that actual Blazing Saddles musical made. <laughs> Not right now, buddy. It's, at yeah. least the first one like opens with a musical number, closes with a musical number. There's like two or three yeah. sprinkled in yeah. there. Yeah. Like full on... I don't remember the movie at all. Full on like musical productions where it's, you know, they're dancing and singing and there's like production value and craziness behind it. I don't remember the movie at all. Or are they just like singing in a choir? I can't remember. It's mostly singing in a choir. Hmm. Yeah. It's technically a musical sequence. Yeah. You do have to technically choreograph some of that. So. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. You should so, I haven't I haven't seen it in so long I couldn't tell you. It's on Disney Plus. 
You want to rewatch it? Hmm, for some reason, it's on. probably not recommended for me on Disney Plus. My Disney Plus <laughs> is like classic cartoons, classic cartoons, uh, Bear Grylls, Gordon Ramsay, Star Trek. Star- I mean, Star Wars. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa! Back up. <laughs> um, you should you should have totally um, put on Hail Caesar there though, because that has Channing Tatum doing one of the funniest musical sequences of 2016. <laughs> like, no Lala Land. <laughs> No, I was going to say, you like you didn't put a La La Land there either, and I'd, I I'd argue that La La Land. Ooh. Ooh, La La Land's good. It's not my favorite movie that year, but it's good. It's mine. Yeah, I know. You can, yeah, you can hear all about it on Film Explosion 2016. Yeah, where I, <laughs> where I made the dumbest mistake imaginable. <laughs> Wait, what did I do? Oh, no, 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 I did. Uh, number seven, nice guys. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That will never we, forgive you for. We don't talk about that here on this show. <laughs> uh, what do we talk Remind about? Remind me, where show? did he put Saving Private Ryan on his film explosion list? Uh, number five, because I don't watch it frequently. It's a good movie. Love it. It's a great movie. Don't watch it frequently. Hey, Brad, I heard the drive in theater has new movies for us to check out. They do. Jump on your moped and take us there. <laughs> It sounded like the Jetsons, actually. <laughs> did I have a tank at one point? Stop this you did. Thing. It's the the uh, pandemic has really hurt your vehicle situation. Hey, film buddies, follow me around Denver. All right, this week at the drive-in, uh, the Denver Mart is rolling over into Kung Fu Panda and the Karate Kid. No, those are fun together. So that's a fun lineup yeah. starting at 8 p.m. Uh, 10 bucks for one person. Um, the Holiday Twin is assuming this episode goes up on time, which I've been bad about. <laughs> yeah, you asshole. Yeah, this may not be relevant at all. <laughs> um, they've got Deadpool and V for Vendetta. Nice. Oh, that's kind of fun. Yeah. So I'm going to try to check that out. And then the 88 drive-in just posted they are switching it up to Inside Out, Talladega Nights, and Black Panther. Nice. So definitely check that one out. So, Um, yeah, yeah. that's what's going on around town. Nice. Um, You know, I think, I think, I hope I'm not going to jinx us, but I think Russell Crowe's Unhinged will open on time because Regal has announced it's opening August 21st, which Russell Crowe's Unhinged will be in theaters. And I'm seeing reviews for Russell Crowe's Unhinged. And uh, it looks pretty awesome. Why do they get to watch before we do? Like, we review movies. Yeah. Fuckers. We're stuck at home, too. But, you know, like I said last week, I'm hoping that uh, we'll be able to get Tenant on September 3rd, too, because technically theaters in Colorado can open. Because if it, it doesn't open on August 21st, I will become unhinged. <laughs> That's a Zach Eastman joke right there. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, you, you're, you're just, Ryan, I'll teach you how to speak like me, and then you'll be able to pull off those beautiful gems. Guess what, <laughs> Zach? You're cool now. <laughs> oh, I don't want, no. Whoa, 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 guys! No. Ryan no. ruined it for himself. I think that's a little extreme, Brad. I mean, I mean, I'm cool in my own way, but I'm not Ryan cool. That's 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 a whole different beast, man. No one can be Ryan cool. Yeah. Hey, Brad, can I uh, 
ape off of your around town real fast. Sure. Um, so I mentioned it last week, but I'm starting to get a little depressed. I talked to my comic book guy and the last order for comics at Colorado Coins, Cards and Comics is August 19th. Um, so that's when they'll stop getting new comics. And then at the end of the month, the owner is just going to close the store. Um, not because he's really losing money. I, he's just tired. I get, he's like in his seventies and doesn't want to do it anymore. So yeah, if anybody he's... out there wants to get a comic store, um, now's the chance. And look, it already has a built-in um, customer base of like thirty years. So I, I've like I, I have. I'm working on an article right now for our website about how like it's grown with me and uh, how depressed I am about it. But uh, the reason I say that is go in, support them, get some comics. Right now you can get, so back issues are 50% off if they're not green tagged. But if you spend more than $25, you get an additional 25% off. Yep. So um, you can get uh, comics on the cheap. On Saturday, I took my list of you know holes in my collection. Mm-hmm. And I just started pulling them out of the boxes. And then I just stuffed the whole, like $100 worth in my hold slot. So that as long as the sale was going, I can go in and just... Yeah. Grab them. Uh, I, I mean, I didn't do that when there was a sell. I did it because um, I started like panicking because I said, man, I'm not gonna be able to flip through these comics anymore. And uh, besides Spider-Man, which, uh, you know, now I'm at a point with my Spider-Man collection that I'm really only missing really expensive ones. Um, but uh, so I, a couple weeks ago, I put in my hold slot, all the uh, Batman adventures, TMNT adventures that I didn't have. Um, Batman 66 and Green Hornet. Mm. Um, so I've been really focusing on characters and I've been collecting a lot of Poison Ivy lately. So <laughs> she's in, she pops up in almost every one of those. Um, and Harley Quinn, which is, I'm already a fan of. So it's kind of uh, sad. And But you can get great deals on comics. Make sure you support them. They're um, also doing uh, 50% off trades. So yeah, that's huge too. Yeah, you can get some sweet deals. Yeah. Um, I, I, I talked to the owner's wife and she's trying to convince him to stay open on the weekends, um, with like big discounts. So she doesn't, they don't have to like auction off their collection because I mean, I know who's going to buy it if they do. Yeah. So, um, I, and then, you know, mark it up like crazy. Um, fingers crossed. I have an idea. We can do what Dante and Randall did. We'll buy the comic shop and <laughs> open it ourselves. We just need to find two stoners who somehow made it to Hollywood and made a sweet deal for their likeness rights. Yeah, I did uh, take the we'll flyer be- from uh, Bruce. It's $1.2 million. But you get the the building. So you're buying the building, and then you get the stuff inside the building. So he owns the building next to it, that CBD uh, place as well. Okay. Um, so, I mean, he doesn't own this, the business, but he owns the... He charges the them rent. rent. Yeah. 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 I was going to say, like, what's stopping us from just buying the store ourselves? It's the money, right? Yeah. <laughs> 1.2 million. I don't, I don't know about you, but I've got, like, I don't know, 95 cents in a little change drawer, so I'm already 0.001% of the way there. <laughs> keep on begging my dad to do it, and he won't. <laughs> uh, like, do you, do you think that um, a bank would give us a loan, you know, in the middle of a global pandemic uh, for a, a failing business uh, model. I don't, thi- I don't think it's failing. I, I mean, I probably could if I put uh, my a, house up, but you know, I guess I, guess I, I care about my family, a business in decline. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I, yeah, it's, 
you know, I, I looked into ordering comics on Mile High. It's a pain in the ass. That's the only thing that bums me out. Like, they have not changed that website in 20 years. I know. Um, so I know I might go to Heroes Headquarters or something. So how else am I going to get my Spider-Man stuff? Because I was looking into like just ordering it and having it shipped to me. Directly, yeah. Yeah, but you know, I also get stuff like Spider-Woman, and that gets canceled all the time. So if Spider-Woman gets canceled, then they automatically give you Amazing Spider-Man for it. But I already subscribed to Amazing Spider-Man. Um, so they basically they'll take like um, whatever family you're in. So if let's say you got West Coast Avengers and it gets canceled, then they give you Avengers. Or if you get, so it's basically the same family. And so I base oh, really only get Spider-Man comics. So if anything gets canceled, I just get, keep on getting Amazing Spider-Man. I don't know. I really don't see why they can't just send you what you want on demand. Like, you know, I mean, I could with go all to the subscription models shop, out there. Yeah, I, I could go to my comic shop, I guess, and just keep on ordering off of their website. But I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do yet. I'm too depressed. Yeah, the place is awesome. And it's, mm-hmm. it's sad that Bruce is just tired. But I get it. You're in your 70s. Don't want to do it anymore. Yeah. It was, it was never his passion, so... No. But you, you hope that someone would come in at the last second and swoop in and be like, I'm doing this. Someone will, and they're the biggest game in town. Yeah, and then you always think, and th- then thank the Real Nerds Podcast. I mean, someone should do it. <laughs> yeah. Help us help you. So yeah, I just wanted to do a shout out. Go and support them, even though they're closing shop. Make sure Bruce can enjoy his retirement by getting lots of money. So he hasn't he hasn't sold it for that one point two. Mm mm. Huh. I'm gonna Google how to get one point two million dollar loan. <laughs> Maybe Bruce Wayne will buy it. He's pretty rich. I know. Where's Batman when you need him? No doubt. He's been sleeping on the job all 2020. <laughs> Maybe Lamont <laughs> Cranston can buy it. <laughs> <laughs> Or Tony Stark? What's what's he up to? He's oh, dead. he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Zach, what's coming out on Blu-rays? DVD releases and Blu-rays. Well, you and I have something coming our way, like, within the next couple of days. Uh, Kino Lobar is putting out a couple different collections, the most important of them being the Carol Lombard Collection, Volume 1. I haven't um, seen any of the movies in the collection, have you? No, um, I have not. These are ones I have not gotten a chance to watch yet. So we're blind buying Carol Lombard. <laughs> yeah, but it's worth it because it's Carol Lombard, star of To Be or Not To Be, the uh, fourth greatest film ever made. Um, but, um, or In Name the, Only with Cary Grant. Yes, uh, or in My Man Godfrey with William Powell. Or, or in The Eagle and the Hawk with Cary Grant. <laughs> or with Mr. and Mrs. Smith, um, mm-hmm. uh, directed by Hitchcock. Uh, but in this collection, you will get Fast and Loose, Man of the World, and No Man of Her Own. Nice. Um, so lots of lots to look forward to there. You can also get a collection of Tony Curtis films, uh, which include The Perfect Furlough, The Great Imposter, and Forty Pounds of Trouble. Um, all of which I've not seen. I like Tony Curtis though. There's a there's a great story uh, in Evenings with Cary Grant. So Tony Curtis uh, starred with Cary Grant in Operation Petticoat, and uh, they went and saw a cut of the film and Cary Grant. I mean, technically he's second uh, in there. So he's like the co-star and there's a part where the camera is focused on Tony Curtis while they're fixing the submarine and Cary Grant is in the background and at the screening with uh, all the executives and Tony Curtis was there. 
Cary Grant stood up and says, hold it, hold it, hold it. We need to recut this. You can't even see me. And uh, he got up and stormed out of the theater. And Tony Curtis was like, oh, my gosh, did I just make Cary Grant mad? And so he slinked out of the theater and he went, went out there. All the executives and Cary were laughing, um, <laughs> playing a joke on him that he was upset about not being in the, the foreground. Um, great story. Now you should read the book Evenings with Cary Grant. It's a wonderful book. Somebody does need to do a biopic where Cary Grant's just like this elusive trickster that keeps making wonderful <laughs> things happen, but then he just I, disappears like magic. <laughs> you know, I keep on looking on Drew Struzan's uh, website. He did that uh, portrait of Cary Grant that I keep on hoping yeah. that he'll make a print of because it's amazing. If, if quarantine times get hard enough, maybe he will. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the, I'm sure Drew Struzan needs money. Well, I'm not saying that so much, <laughs> but like, you know, sometimes it's hard times hit the, the best of us. Uh, but the other collection you can get is the Audie Murphy collection. Uh, Audie Murphy, a Western star. You will get in that collection the Duel at Silver Creek, Ride a Crooked Train, uh, Ride a Crooked Trail, sorry, uh, and No Name on the Bullet. Uh, no Name on the Bullet sounds fun. Um, at least that time. Um, amongst uh, newer releases, um, Swallow, a movie from last year that came out this year um, amidst the pandemic, is coming to Blu-ray. Um, I haven't seen it yet, but I've heard really good things, so I want to check it out. Yeah, it's really weird. It's about a lady who can't stop eating stuff. Yeah, it's like, really, like specifically like sharp stuff and like. Yeah, stuff isn't like it that. based on like a true story, Zach? Because it's. It's I I don't know. Or if they saw it on like. Uh, one of those my weird addiction or something like that something like that i know there's someone well, who actually I know does it, it i know that yeah i know the condition's real like it's like this thing where they can't stop beating like because they like the texture that it, as it goes down a esophageal tube or something i don't know but yeah um but yeah it, it looks it looks interesting i the trailer looked pretty neat i want to check yeah. it out um for all you British fans out there, so Corinne, if you're listening in, you can get Doctor Who, the Tom Baker collection, season three, or the complete season three, um, at, which includes his run 1976 to 1977. Um, also on the TV front, you can get um, the first season of His Dark Materials, which I'm assuming is a Golden Compass thing because it's got a polar bear on the front of it. Um, I have not seen the golden compass or his dark materials but if you want to check that out you can uh season two of jack ryan or tom clancy's jack ryan or john krasinski's tom clancy ryan how many uh, times does john krasinski look at the camera when something's about to blow up is what i want to know um i've heard many times (laughs) nice I haven't, I haven't watched the show yet but my dad watched it and he was just like it was fine (laughs) he just moved on Mm. i'm like really that's it it does seem like a show i should watch though like, have you? Did you not watch the first season? Or uh, uh-uh. okay. Amazon yeah. keeps on telling me I should because you know I watch <laughs> other shit on Amazon that's almost exactly like it. Because you watch a Quiet Place way too much on their on their platform. <laughs> well, no, I I hate Amazon sometimes. I was um, I was at Barnes and Noble this week, and I uh, so the Dixie Chicks changed their names to the Chicks. But yeah. Barnes and Noble has their new album that says the Dixie Chicks on it because they made the. Some places are getting that album because they made it before the name change, so they're getting copies of where it says the Dixie Chicks, and so I clicked on this article where they were talking about it, and now I every time I log into Amazon, it says Amazon thinks you'll like the Dixie Chicks. I go what? 
They're all right. I do like some of their songs. Yeah, to be clear, Dixie Chicks are not bad. It's just I, I like Goodbye that, Earl is probably my favorite song by them. Yeah, it, it, but it's just weird that Amazon's suddenly assuming, like, oh, Brian's the biggest Dixie Chicks fan in the world. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, uh, let's see. Um, beyond that, we're getting steelbook, um, limited steelbook releases for Best Buy of Inception and The Town. Um the town one looks kind of okay. The inception one, I'm pretty much assuming is uh, like one of the variants from like when they first released inception on 4k, but it's Jogo uh, running around in the revolving room. So nice. um, if you don't own inception on 4k, there's your chance to do so. And man, that's very much it. <laughs> yep. We, we have reached, we have reached the point where there is virtually nothing available. It looks like next week's got a lot more. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. So, because uh, of Film Solution 2000, I bought uh, the Gladiator Steelbook. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I found out today that Best Buy is closed on Mondays now. Wait, what? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yep. So, is don't it go just to Best, your Buy, Best on Monday. Buy or is it all Best Buys? All of them. If you go to the website right now, they say all open uh, tomorrow at 10 a.m. So I wonder if they do a cleaning day on Mondays or something. Probably, or just like they get their stuff on Tuesday anyway. So yeah, um, most people probably just show up on Tuesday. So you know they must because the I I didn't go last week, but I I went like maybe four weeks ago, and on Tuesday when I went in, they didn't have anything out. They their whole movie section was basically taken down and they're putting in the sale price tags. So I don't, they must clean on Monday or something. Yeah. It's it, uh, the product in there is sparse, like in the store too. So, I mean, I think just with everything going on, the traffic's just light, but I mean, it's seven thirty right now. They're recording this and you know, they would normally be open. Mm-hmm. So it's not like it closed early or anything. Huh. Best buy. Hey, Brad, how do we get a $1.2 million loan? Uh, well, it looks like, um, you know, we have to prove that the business could, you know, make that back. And it really sounds like the you know, Bruce's property itself is worth more than the business. Mm-hmm. Oh, so yeah, for sure. It's almost, it almost might be worth it for us to just buy his collection and open up shop somewhere else. <laughs> so. Yeah, but how much do you think he would want for all the comics in there. I don't think he cares about them. Well, he doesn't properly. He doesn't. I should go in there and say, Hey man, can I just buy all your Spider-Mans? I'll give you 500 bucks and I'll get a bunch of duplicates, but I think Brandon might stop that, but fuck Brandon. (laughs) But seriously, I think it might be worth it to like get a, a, like a smaller loan of like a hundred thousand dollars and buy the collection. And then, you know, Lisa spot. So yeah, because they have, I mean, according to their sign, they have over two hundred thousand back issues. So you're basically buying them for fifty cents each. Wow, you did that calculation fast. But yeah, it's but you know maybe. What would stop you from buying out the business and then making it mobile? You know how they have food trucks. Yeah. Why couldn't you have a comic truck? Yeah, if I took that I mean, over, that I would definitely do online sales because they could be selling to people around the country. And moving that inventory. Yeah, you know, I always have dreams of if I won Powerball, I would walk into Mile High Comics 
So first I'd buy Jason Voorhees for $20 million because <laughs> I want the rights to the character. And then I would go into my high comics. You think he would sell if I offered him $20 million for his comics? Maybe even less than that. Walk in with 10, like 10 million cash. You wouldn't have to do anything. Just give him straight cash. Well, then 10 million. Yeah. Cash probably, but like, didn't he just buy a collection for 3 million recently? So like, it's gotta be worth more than 20 million. Well, I'm sure it is. I mean, he has a million comics there and how much he charges for him. Yeah. But too, like Bruce's collection, like a majority of those comics are not even worth 50 cents. Mm, really? Yeah. I mean, you're really just paying for the valuable ones, which could still be like, yeah. Yeah. I always had in, in my dream, I would go back and I'd reprice everything in mile high comics and make it more friendly for everybody to come in. I think that's the biggest um, and issue would, with comic stores is I don't think they're very welcoming sometimes. Yeah, like I think they really need to pivot into being more of a hangout yeah. spot. Um, you know, and like the hours are terrible. Like, yeah, I agree. People like us are night owls. Yeah, I so agree. Forcing us to get in there nine to five and like, yeah, I would, I would dump the sports memorabilia stuff and make it mobile. Yeah. Uh, yep. Brad, you're not, you're not night owl. Patrick Wilson is night owl. Well, he's the second night owl. All right, Brian, you're cool again. Zach sucks. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. It only took 35 minutes. You're welcome, Ryan. I'm out of here. <laughs> you know, they have bookmobiles at the library. What would yeah. stop you from having like a comics mobile? And you could set it up at a park every weekend and be like, we're going to be at this park this weekend. And then whoever's out there can stop by, get their comics and whatever. Yeah. When Corinne said bookmobile, I thought about The Simpsons, the book burning mobile. <laughs> Google says the manager's salary for a comic book shop is like $57,000 and that's more than I make doing <laughs> film and video. So I think that's we really need to pursue less than this. I make. <laughs> it, could, it could be a sound investment, gentlemen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you keep the name. Mm-hmm. Familiar branding. I think we need yeah. to do this. We need to be the heroes we want to be. We want to live world. long enough to become the villain. <laughs> We're just burning comics by the end of it. <laughs> it's uh, not about money. It's about sending a message. And, and some venture capitalist is listening to this podcast. He's just swoop in ahead of us and just like gut that store. Ew, gross. Sad. Yeah. Hey, Zach, what's happening in movie news? Oh, tons. It's real news. Um, I mean, that Regal's open back up in August, um, and with it tenant scheduled to arrive on September 3rd, uh, so hopefully we will start seeing things uh, open at some point here. Until then, wear your damn mask, people. Um, moving on, though, Universal, um, if you'll recall, like a month or two ago, they got into a tiff with AC because uh, Universal reported its numbers for Trolls World Tour, and we're basically indicating that they want to start doing a lot of VOD slash theatrical dual platform releases. And the EMC went, Oh, you're not, we're not going to show any more of your movies. Well, now it looks like they have reached a deal in which, and this is a multi-year agreement means that universal can put out um, any of its movies on premium video on demand within three weeks of the theatrical debut. So basically, it's not same-day turnaround, but three weeks from theatrical, you can 
that they can put it out on VOD um, and still not and not lose any business with AMC. Well, also premium VOD uh, and AMC and gets a cut of it, it and they can they're they're not going to do it for yep. movies like okay. Fast and Furious. It's going to be their middle of the road movies where they think if they uh, put them at home, people are going to make money. I'd be really curious to see how okay. much money um, other movies have made that went straight to premium VOD because trolls was, you know, right at the beginning of the pandemic. And I think people are saying, Oh, I'm going to do this and, and watch it. So I think it was more popular than um, some of the other ones. I, Cause I haven't heard any I, about thing about the other movies. Have you? No, but I have a theory that with the exception of ones that could be bigger openers like Invisible Man or Halloween, I think that's what's going to happen to some Blumhouse stuff. Maybe. Because they're, they're already kind of in that VOD realm sometimes anyway with products that just well, aren't good. That uh, new one they did with Kevin Bacon, they only put on DVD. Bacon, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, that, but, and now, granted, that might have been one that they were going to do a limited on, but like... But they generally, if they can't find a market for it in the theatrical realm, they'll go right to the OD and DVD. Mm -hmm. So my guess is that that's what's going to happen for that. I'd be more worried if, not worried, I'd be curious to see if Focus Features um, falls into that because they don't, they're not, it's in theory, it would be more ideal for some people to watch those movies in uh, in theaters, but I could see them trying to put those on VOD to cover any potential losses on a, micro budget or like well if universal is listening i will never spend twenty dollars on a video on demand movie no 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 not when you can get the physical copy or see it in the theater at the very least so um or you wait till scoop is on you know hbo max (laughs) i'm just saying if they do that with halloween kills i'll be very unhappy but um doesn't look like that's going to happen um so um Peacock is a streaming service uh, that happens. Peacock. I get it for free because I have Xfinity. Oh, really? Have you tried it out yet? Um, Laura did, and there's commercials, so it's like Hulu. Or CBS All Access. But it's also, she watched Beetlejuice on it, and there was commercials during the movie, which uh, Hulu doesn't do. So Hulu, there's no commercials during the movie. Is it because you don't have Beetlejuice in the house, Ryan? Is that the reason? Yeah, because Beetlejuice is overrated. <laughs> yes, but your wife likes it. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, it's great for the 10 minutes Beetlejuice is on screen. Yep. Yep. That's about uh, it. Yep. But at any way, regardless, um, uh, The Office, consequently, will be moving over to that service on in 2021. And it looks like they're going to be doing um, extended episodes of the show um, as part of their streaming with it. So... You guys will have to fill me in on this. You have the physical copies of them, DVD, I'm assuming, or Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. Um, are there extended episode or? Yeah. Uh, so um, during the office, I think it's the fourth season is when the writer strike happened. Mm-hmm. So they only had, I think, 15 or 16 episodes. And almost every single one of them was, they called them supersized at the time. And they were okay. like 37 minutes or 40 minutes, something like that. Okay. Not like a full hour, but they were extended by five, ten minutes. Right on. Well, then, basically, these um, th- these will be ex- applying, apparently, to a lot of the other episodes as well with uh, never-before-seen footage, um, or I guess on the DVDs and Blu-rays, there's probably that footage in their deleted scene section. Yeah, um, on my friend's stuff, 
they would always tout it as with now with footage footage you've never seen <laughs> and you could always tell where they were cut because not like the jokes were bad but it's saying oh this goes on a little too long yeah um but regardless though that that brought up a question for me to you guys because i i've watched the office once through i haven't gone back to it it's something i need to still do but um you guys talked about this in the past the halloween episode i believe it is where they have michael hanging himself in the introduction <laughs> yeah. to it um do you think that this goes onto the platform or are they going to still ignore hell it? no they're taking off stuff off like community because a guy dressed up as a dark elf there's no way in hell they're going to show michael hanging yeah, it's not even on the DVD, so yeah, it sucks. Actually, I have to check, I Brad. I keep on forgetting. I'm going to make a note right now because I got the DVD's first printing, and I'm. Did you get it when it first came out? No, I have that box set. So I'm pretty sure it's on mine because I don't remember ever watching that episode live, and then I because it, it's season six, right? Yeah, yeah. I'll, you know, what? I'll I'll make a note right now, and I'll watch it tonight and i'll let you know yes the koi pond episode that's right all right yeah moving on um in uh in apple news um that might get me to try apple um noted uh documentarian filmmaker and maybe yoda lover warner said that his new documentary fireball will be released on apple tv is a documentary about how shooting stars, meteorites, and deep impacts on Earth have shaped human mythology. Um, As long as he narrates it, I'm watching the thing. It's weird. There's no, he, oh dude, he, he did, he did an interview where he was like praising baby Yoda. And I was just like, Oh, this, this this scary but lovable man loves this baby baby Yoda. That's that's just adorable. I love it. What happened to Ryan? Did he go what? Uh, well, Kellen's playing uh, Plants uh, vs Zombies, so it yeah, makes that this delay okay. I have on my video. I was like, oh, we lost Ryan. Who will else will die in the stream? <laughs> um, but um, and then moving on to some uh, returning casting news, um, we're getting a new Scream sequel. And it looks like Courtney Cox is coming back as Gail Weathers. Nice. Um, another another news: a dump truck full of uh, money uh, piled onto the back of her house while in quarantine. Nice. Um, no, yeah, no. I mean, I'm glad that she'll be coming back. She's for great her. in that series. I mean, I still think Scream Four is a really great movie. It's really underrated. I agree. And although, like, when I first saw it, I wasn't a fan of the ending, but I changed my mind after rewatching it a couple more times. Um, I hope they get David Arquette back too. Um, I haven't he heard is. if he's coming. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yep. So then everybody's coming. They should find a way to bring Matthew Lillard back. I know he died in the first one, but I want him back. Didn't he take a (laughs) shot? He got shot in the head. No, that was um, her boyfriend. That was Skeet Ulrich, noted uh, hair gel enthusiast Skeet Ulrich, because that hairdo. (laughs) Um, I love in the uh, Scream Two when they make a movie based on the first Scream, and Luke Wilson plays Skeet Ulrich. It's amazing. Yeah. Or on Scream Three, where they're doing Stab Three. Yep. That uh, that Scream Three is a little rough. Uh, it's got its moments. Yeah. Um, not quite as good. And then, in hilarious news, Dwayne Johnson bought the XFL. Nice. <laughs> For what cool the, fifteen what million. What the hell? Why? No, no. I mean, obviously, he sees an investment opportunity, and for fifteen million bucks, that's what like a three quarters of a movie for him. 
So yeah, I guess because I'm pretty sure he makes twenty million dollars a movie, and that's before you know all the points are added up. So I'm sure he's fine. I mean, it's crazy well, well, that you can buy an entire sports league for fifteen million dollars. Yeah, that just shows how much NFL team would be more than that. Oh yeah, well, an NFL team's like four billion, so it just shows you how, um, you know, how dire financial straits it probably is in. Because I'm sure the fifteen million is for him to get the licensing rights, the naming. Um, Yeah, so we'll see. You know, here's my Dwayne the Rock Johnson was part of the 1990 Miami Hurricanes national championship team. Oh, really? So that's yes. why. Okay. All right. I was curious because I saw the 30 for 30 on the XFL and there was a part of me that felt bad that it failed, but also that Vince McMahon is kind of a, an, but the, the, when I saw that headline, I thought it was an onion article and that I had clicked on it by mistake. <laughs> um, but no, this is, this is a thing. It's happening. He teamed up with um, Redbird Capital to do this. Um, so sure. I bring it up mainly cause it's Dwayne Johnson doing something interesting while in quarantine. Um, and then we had two deaths. Um, Phil Allen Parker, uh, director of midnight, midnight express and Mississippi burning passed away. 76. Um, he also directed Pink Floyd, the wall, uh, and the commitments and Evita, uh, the movie with Madonna. Uh, but yeah, he, he was a talented filmmaker. I like Mississippi burning a lot. Um, have you seen that movie, Ryan? Which one? Mississippi Burning. I have. Oh, yeah. It's, it's wonderful. Midnight Express is cool. Um, I haven't watched it in a while. It's cool. Um, and, um, yeah. And I, I think that one of the films I haven't seen is Angel Heart. But I, I'd be interested to see that because it's uh, Mickey Rourke and Bobby De Niro. So I'd want to check that out. And then the last terrible piece of news uh, is that um, – Diabetes has been defeated us because uh, Wil- Wilford Brimley has passed away at the age of 85. Um, Did you already think he was like Cocoon. 85 or was it just me? Okay, here's the thing. He's the star of Cocoon. His co-stars are Don Amici and Hume Cronin. They are obviously older than him if you look at their birth dates. But, but I could not tell the difference when watching Cocoon. I mean, the only reason I say that is because he's always seemed old to me. Oh, yeah. He's always had that gruff kind of like you know, uh, way about him that suggested he was much older than he actually was. Yeah, I mean, he's um, a great actor and it's sad that he passed away, but I, oh, when yeah, he's, yeah. you know, it's one of those things, he's just one of those guys who's always old. Yeah, yeah hey. he, he was like 50 in Cocoon. Like, yeah. that's only like 20 but, years away for us. Yep, yeah, but don't away. worry guys, now, now he will never get older, but he did die. So I'm sorry that I had to bring that part up. But, you know, he wasn't just in Cocoon um, or The Natural or The Firm. Um, or he was in a John claude Van Damme movie. I cannot remember the name of it, Brad. Do you Hard know? Target. Hard Target. That's it. Yeah. Um, but he was also... Man, this is a soft target. Or is it hard? <laughs> it, if I'm remembering uh, clips I've seen of Hard Target correctly, Wilford Brimley's kind of insane in that movie. Actually, I think Hard Target's um, but, uh, kind of a fun movie, Brad, right? He, that's the one where he's on a motorcycle and he's in, is it in Louisiana or something? Yeah, Wilford Brimley's his Cajun uh, that's uncle right, that's or right. something. And he, pun- yeah. yeah that's, and Dan that's, punches a snake. Yes. Yep. That's the, that's the, th- those are some of the clips that I've seen. And I he has a mullet in it. I do like Hard Target. Uh, all right. I need to finally watch this in honor of Mr. Brimley. 
Um, because clips are not enough, clearly. But Ryan, we all know what he's going to be most famous for, right? Not just Cocoon, but also smacking the shit out of an Arctic exploration office and going, you don't understand. They wanted to be us. Uh, he's great in the thing. He's fucking yes. wonderful in the thing. He is so awesome in that movie. Um, but yeah, big, big old bucket win for Wilford Brimley. Um, he, he's also in Ewoks, The Battle for Endor, which is something I've never seen before, and I would like to check it out now, regardless of how stupid it might be. And that's news. Very cool. We watch movies throughout the week in a segment I call What We've Been Watching. So, uh, yeah, this is the stuff we've been watching. Brad, you're first on my Brady Bunch grid. What'd you watch this week? Uh, I'd like to issue a correction first. Two weeks ago, I said uh, the Friday the 13th uh, steel, or, like, Steelbook came out. Mm-hmm. And I said it was a metal pack because in the images on the website, it is a metal pack. But I was in the store, and it is, in fact, a Steelbook. Um, not that it matters because you should just be buying the Scream Factory version anyway, but... Um, yeah, that's that that 40th anniversary steelbook is a steelbook. So nice. I was wrong. Even though the pictures are still metal pack, but whatever. Anyway, this week <laughs> I watched uh, a couple things. Uh, I went to the drive-in where they played the Karate Kid, Men in Black, and The Matrix Reloaded. And the Karate Kid, um, Pat Morita, just watching him play Mr. Miyagi again. Um, his scenes, you know, when he finally shows um, Daniel, like all the chores he's been doing actually are his training for karate, mm-hmm. like is such a great scene. And then later when Daniel shows up and Mr. Miyagi has been drinking because he's, it's the anniversary of the death of his wife and kid. And like his performance in that scene is just like so oh, heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just great. And then, you know, I like Karate Kid three, but like, there's nothing like those two scenes in that movie. Um, yeah, so that, it, it was it was just a fun watch um, at the drive-in. Uh, the original Men in Black still clever, and it's it just bums me out that they never made another movie that was as clever as that first one. Um, you know, it, the first one also kind of hit at the middle of like you know X Files and Independence Day, so like the whole UFO sci-fi alien craze has kind of hit its peak um so like it it really felt relevant then but yeah everything since it's just been not as enjoyable uh the matrix reloaded um which i hadn't seen in a while because you know terrible (laughs) (laughs) uh you know it wasn't as bad as i remembered um but i did fall asleep at one point in it and uh it's just it's a movie that just doesn't seem to like, you know, what's funny about that is I two, three guy. I'm so messed up on time right now, but maybe a month ago I went to Walmart and they had reloaded and revolutions for 1499 on ultra HD. And I said, man, I should get those. Oh, there's modern family season 11. I'll get that this time. And when I come back, I'll get those. (laughs) And uh, when I went back this last week, they were all sold out. I also took advantage of that deal, not you. I, I, I feel like that move, that reloaded at the very least, is is much better than Revolutions, and that it is try, trying to do something, but not all the parts work. 
Yeah, it, it does like set up stuff, but you just like never quite get there. And then yeah. it, it leaves you hanging like, oh, we'll just we'll figure it out. That's what Revolutions is, is the answer to all these yeah. new ideas. Um, but like just the, it, it, the expanded budget, they just kind of went into like Star Wars prequel territory where it's like, well, you know, we have more money so we can do bigger and better. Right. Um, instead of I, really I, diving I, into the ideas that they're trying to convey. What? Uh, sorry, Brad. I, I agree with you because I rewatched the first Matrix recently. And when you watch that, that movie is actually really great. And yeah. uh, you forget that. I mean, I haven't seen the sequels in so long, probably since they came out on in theaters, that I've never really been inspired to rewatch them. But watching the first Matrix, you go, man, this movie's so great. And then the two sequels aren't. Yeah, the first movie is small and it like it really explores the ideas that it's talking about. But the the sequel one like, you know, you go to Zion and they're just having a huge rave and there's like a you know, suddenly there's this huge hierarchy of people, uh, you know, there there's a council and there's like, like a military that everyone has to like get permission to go through and it's just like the first movie is just like you know, the only thing that matters is the people on the Nebuchadnezzar and uh, you know, fighting the agents, and then yeah, the reloaded is uh, Neo goes to the Oracle and she spouts a bunch of other, like, you know, uh, psychological stuff. And then, you know, agents show up, and like it's just a set piece of like how many CGI people can he fight on screen at once. And then, uh, they do a bunch of other stuff, and then go to the Merovingian and they like have dinner. And they talk about philosophy. Um, and then granted the final sequence, which I, I sort of clocked the runtime. It's like a 20 minute like action sequence on a highway. Uh, so that's actually pretty impressive. But it really doesn't serve the story, right? It's like, just how cool is this? Um yeah, and then the movie ends on a cliffhanger. Yeah, I think that happens a lot in the sequels. It says, I'm just going to try to make things cool and kind of forget about advancing the story. Yeah, and didn't the, like, wasn't there a recent article about the director of photography, like, ripping on the sequel movies as being just yeah, unfocused? He, and... he, was on, he was on Deacon's po- podcast, and it was Bill Pope, and he talked about how basically... Um, uh, Lena and Lily had basically gone through a Stephen Stanley Kubrick um, kind of phase where they kind of wanted to emulate how Kubrick would get his shit done, and so then that kind of took a toll on everybody because they yeah. do multiple multiple takes until they got it right and wore down the actors. So mm. yeah, and that, that fight sequence, like on the on the in the like the lobby stairs, is like everything's really pretty, but it just seems like they scrape the bottom of the barrel of like, well, what other ideas could the matrix inspire? And then they just mm. ended up focusing on like, well, we're spending a lot of money. So the action has to be cool. So let's make the action cool. Remember that scene in Conker's bad fur day. <laughs> no, you don't remember the matrix uh, parody in it. I'm sure it's there awesome. was one, but I haven't played that game in forever. Yep. It's amazing. Yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure it was bullet time related. It was. Yeah. So uh, then I also watched on uh, the other thing I watched at the drive-in was E.T. and Back to the Future back to back. Hell yeah. Um, and I hadn't seen E.T. in a while and they played the non walkie talkie version, which was nice, yeah. um, which means there was no CGI E.T. either. Nice. But 
it's amazing that like that was such a popular movie. Um, like attention spans in '82 must have been like really focused because it is, it's such a slow movie. It is, um, but I think the, the story is really great, and I, it made like what four hundred million dollars or something. That's a yeah, lot of money back, which is then. probably five hundred, six hundred million today. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, yeah a lot of money from John Carpenter and the thing, but whatever. <laughs> It, yeah, it was like the second highest grossing movie behind Star Wars at that time. Um, but I mean, it, it it is a great movie. Like it's just, you know, it's such a small film again mm-hmm. that um, sucks you in and like the emotion in it. And like, I never really paid attention as much in the past as to like Elliot's home situation. Yeah. Um, just D. Wallace's. You know, when she talks about like, like she breaks down remembering that like her, like her husband's in Mexico and like no one ever talks about outright about what's going on with the family. It's just like little snippets of just, you know, that. Well, yeah, if you watch the special features on the Blu-ray, Steven Spielberg talks about how it's really personal to him because his parents went through a divorce. Yeah. And um, and, you know, that's a great thing is why I think Steven Spielberg is one of the greatest filmmakers of all time is because he can make these fantastical movies, but at the heart of it, it's the characters. And you, you mean you're, you're talking about how big the movie is, but it's a small movie. When you think about it, the scope isn't big at all. You know, not, it's really focused and yeah. Not until like the government agent show. Up yeah. At the end. Does it really like kick into like sort of an action movie? Cause the kids mm-hmm. are like driving the van and they're like, the bikes are flying. But before that, it's just like, you know, you're just hanging around the house. Like, um, and like, it's a great example of showing and not telling. Cause mm-hmm. even early on, like, cause a lot of times uh, like when I watch, I never came in at the very beginning, but like all the stuff that like you, no one ever really talks about like ET is like a race that comes from like a pla- planet of like botanists, you know, mm-hmm. that they're just taking, um, you know, they're exploring earth's uh, plant culture and, you know, he, um, it's the government agents that scare them off and uh, E.T. gets left behind and it's really sweet that the Peter Coyote's character is the one agent who like, you know, you know they set him up, he's like, he's keys, he's a villain, but he's really Elliot, um, you know, and he wished that he could have been, he could have met E.T. when he was a kid um, and he's glad that E.T. met a kid instead of like, yeah, an adult because yeah, he would have been like cut open and you know i dissected I, I read an interesting article from entertainment weekly um talking about and i think this just encompasses all spielberg films um about indiana jones and why is he so important at times like this and it talks about and this is true for a lot of spielberg films is indiana jones fails a lot you know in the raiders of lost <laughs> ark he, he loses the idol his girlfriend gets kidnapped when he finally gets the arc, he gets it gets taken again by Belloc. And then you think about um I and think I'll, that's what uh E. T. is relatable to for adults and kids because I'd say most people growing up don't have families that stay together and it's sad. But as a kid you relate to you know, I mean I do with just being at home with my mom and she's trying the best to make things work. And my dad was a good dude uh, and is a good guy. I'm just saying that, you know, my mom was single. And so those scenes do touch me a little bit more. And I think that's what makes Spielberg such a great filmmaker too, whether you're talking about um, Schindler's List or something like this is he he takes these moments that people um, 
can relate to or are touched by. And even in his biggest movies, he really brings them down. I mean, even in War of the Worlds, you know, Tom Cruise is a horrible dad in that movie. And he's an absentee father. And I think people relate to that. And he has such humanity to his films, even when they're fantastical, that everybody relates to because you're right et is found by kids and what happens if adults find him? they don't have that sense of wonderment anymore they don't have oh look how cool it is we can dress him up as um you know a a girl or whatever um in but if adults get him they lose they they lose all that wonder and they're all cynical yeah like his say, mom like he's he's when she finally meets him like he's instantly dangerous right exactly um even though they're like, he's completely immobilized and yeah. Yeah. But as adults too, when we look back on it, you, you think back to saying, man, I remember being that way where if I found, you know, a frog or another creature, we always took care of it <laughs> as an adult. You're saying, get that out of my house. You know, it's, yeah. um, it reminds me, uh, that frog scene. So, uh, Elliot's drunk, right? Cause ET is mm-hmm. drinking beers at home. Yep. Um, and it's supposed to be like, Elliot can feel what E.T. is feeling, right? But Elliot belches in class. It's like, well, belching is, you know, air compression in your own body. So E.T. is so powerful that he can transmit air compression in his own body to (laughs) Elliot at at school. Like, I think that might be a, a, what is it? plot hole <laughs> in an otherwise fantastic movie. Yep. Um, and then uh, I should also point out in Raiders of the Lost Ark, India is so incompetent that, um, you know, if he <laughs> just, if he just didn't bother trying to track down the Ark, it would go to Hitler and kill Hitler. So yeah. <laughs> they, they mentioned that in the article in entertainment weekly, but he can't because he's, Indiana Jones is one of the greatest heroes of all time. And I mean, I love everything about Indiana Jones. Just, uh, yeah. And I mean, Raiders of the Lost Ark is one of the greatest films of all time too. Yeah. And it's, it's just really interesting. And you know, you brought it up. That's why I was bringing up Spielberg. He has that magic about him when he makes films, even like something, a horror film like Jaws, you still have the adventure part of those three men going out on the boat and trying to get the shark. Um, after all this horrific stuff has happened. Robert Shaw is one of the best characters Spielberg has ever had in one of his movies. Like, oh yeah, Quint is amazing. When he tells that story, when he tells that story, when they're all drinking together, like it's fucking. It's I'm pretty a- sure Spielberg says that's his favorite scene he's ever shot. And I would agree. Well, no, I, there's other things of his that I've liked more, but that is a great scene. Absolutely, Spielberg, great. <laughs> yeah, has he been like over, um, over, um, uh, like? overanalyzed as just a blockbuster guy too much. Cause I feel like somebody needs to like actually dig into his characters and not just talk about the impact. Cause that would be, that would make for an interesting article. I don't know. You know, if you, it's really interesting. If you go back and look at his filmography, it seems every year he has a huge movie. He does another intimate movie. So, I mean, he has Jurassic park and Schindler's list. Um, he has ready player one. And what else did he put out that year? I, I can't believe I can't remember right now. Was only ready player one that year. The post was technically the year before, but it came to us that yeah, same year. But then you have Lincoln and something else. So he always... I think Tintin. Yeah, Tintin, you're right. So he he always has like a big movie and then a movie a little more personal to him. I think it was like Minority yeah. Report and Catch Me If You Can. 
exactly. Yeah. And then he takes like two or three years off, and then he comes back again. Yeah. Uh, Unspooled posed an interesting question because um, they were redoing the AFI Top 100. Like, if you could only, you know, there's there's uh, like a lot of movies you want to include on that list, and obviously Spielberg has a bunch that you would want that on that list. But if you could like narrow it down, like what Spielberg movie would you put on that list? Fuck. Yeah, if there's only one. Only one? And I think I might say E.T. because E.T. might be the best example of what he has brought to cinema. Like Schindler's mm. List is obviously probably a better film uh, than E.T. And like Jaws um, is also like it sort of invented the blockbuster. But I think of when I think of Spielberg, I think E.T. has all those pieces of like what it feels like to watch a Spielberg movie. Yeah, so I'm sorry, I'm just going through his filmography. Mm -hmm. So when he did Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, he also did Always, um, Jurassic Park and Schindler's List. He did uh, The Lost World and Amistad, Mm -hmm. um, Minority Report and Catch Me If You Can, War of the Worlds and Munich, um, Tintin and War Horse. Uh And then he just made one movie a year after that. So, yeah, he has this... uh, you know, because yeah, then he did Lincoln in 2012, but then he didn't make Bridge of Spies till 2015. So he kind of goes through these. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, so he usually does a big movie and then maybe a more intimate one, because I mean, War of the Worlds and Munich are way different films. <laughs> I'm trying to think of Brad's question because, like, my honest answer would probably be Saving Private Ryan, mm. and the reason I'd say that is because of how impactful that opening sequence is. And I think it still encompasses a lot of what Spielberg is great and capable of doing under the best of circumstances. Um, Maybe, you know, but, I don't know. Cause I, I'd make an argument for Raiders of the Lost Ark too. Yeah, that's, um, that's another good one too. Like, it's like, do we pick a populist pick or do we pick a more intimate pick? Like, it's, I, it's I don't know. Pick. He's such a great filmmaker that I don't know. I, Bridge I mean, of Spies. Tom Hanks gets a cold in it. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, he's such a great artist that I don't know if I could narrow it down to one film yeah. with him. It's tough. Yeah. It's tough. I think I'd go Jaws or Raiders. Yeah. I mean, Jaws is a great example, too, because that's suspenseful filmmaking at its best. I mean, I I think it's one of the greatest horror films of all time. And just because I've gone through the AFI Top 100 list, or at least like the revamped version lately, because I think they did one for the 10th anniversary, there's not a lot of horror films on there. And I think Jaws would classify as like horror. Oh, no, I think Jaws is 100% a horror film. Right, but I, I mean, it's like a horror blockbuster, whatever. I just, well, I mean, yeah. and I think it is on there already, but I would can, keep it on there just to give you more movies in the horror genre. Yeah, the, I think Jaws is actually might be the best answer in so much that he invented the summer blockbuster with it. That was the first movie that was like a huge summer blockbuster. It transcended movie going experiences. And, and it has substance to it. And it's a great film. Yeah. Also, just technically, I think it's genius because, you know, the mm-hmm. only reason that the shark is not in that movie more is because they had technical problems with it. Yeah. So it actually kind of worked out to their advantage. Yep. yep. They, they had to pull off some Hitchcockian techniques rather than relying on the sight of a shark, of a mechanical shark that 
you know, I'll, I'll be honest. It doesn't look that terrible even today. But no. Like, and I, it, it would be a nightmare. <laughs> I don't know if you saw CNN Films uh, movies that's produced by Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg. I can listen to Steven Spielberg talk about movies all day long. His yep. passion for the how you make film and how much he loves them just is palpable. It's awesome. Yeah. You should watch that mini series just for him. Yeah. One of my favorite interviews that I've ever seen um, done is uh, I think it's Martin Scorsese and Steven Spielberg at the DGA doing a talk on Bridge mm-hmm. of Spies and just those two sound like the most adorable geeks in the room. And it's just amazing. I, yeah. I Scorsese. I mean, he loves film too. He's on uh, my fair lady special features quite a bit. Of course he is. Right. <laughs> He's yeah. <everywhere. laughs> but he, I mean, his, his appreciation for film is. Yeah. Un, I mean, well, you can tell, I mean, he makes good movies sometimes. No, no, no joke. When I saw the be natural documentary on Alice Guy I was just like, man, this is, this is great. This is wonderful. I, it's, it, I wonder if Scorsese is ever going to pop up and like it's not until the very end and they finally threw in some archive footage of him talking about Alice Kibosh and I'm like I knew he'd get in because he always finds a way to be in these classic Hollywood documentaries <laughs> Brad what else do you watch? <laughs> uh, the other half of that double feature was Back to the Future which really flew by um, watching at the drive-in um, but yeah that movie's great um and then the last thing I saw on demand, I guess, um, Voodoo had Ernest Goes to School for free. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and that's one of the uh, straight to, I guess, VHS <laughs> Ernest movies. And Did he uh, what? Did he learn anything? Uh, he had to because he had to, he had to get a, a, a GED or high school diploma uh, okay. in order to keep his job. So... Uh, yeah, it's just slapsticky zaniness. Uh, not necessarily the funniest of the ones I've seen, but um, it's it's so low budget and just like a lot of just him mugging, you know, for the camera that it's just like meh. Uh, and then the other thing I just watched was um Jason Muse's uh, I don't know if it's his directorial debut, but debut, but he directed it. It's Madness and the Method. Oh he, yeah, it is his. It is his directorial debut. Yeah, yeah. I saw it. Sort of auto, sort of autobiographical film uh, where he plays himself, but it's it's sort of heightened reality where, um, yeah, he's playing himself, but in a, like a ridiculous situation where he's tired of being typecast as the Sonar best friend, so he uh, gets a tip about this. Uh, like method acting book that's, you know, helped Ben Affleck, you know, win an Oscar. Um, so he tracks it down and he starts following um, its teachings. And along the way, uh, he haphazardly stumbles into like killing people. Like it's, it's, yeah. first it starts out <laughs> ac- accidental. And then he starts just in order to further his career, he compromises his ethics and starts killing people uh, yeah. to get along. Have you seen this? Yeah, yeah, I saw it last year. I, I talked about it on the show. Oh, I, that's been out for a year. I, yeah, I found it very uh, admirable, even though obviously it's it's got some issues. But like, I I appreciated the effort behind it because, like, in another world, this movie has a little bit more of a better uh, 
budget behind it and it turns into Jason Mewes making a David Lynch movie. <laughs> yeah, he kind of throws was, like whatever he wants at the wall and sees if it sticks. Um, yeah, and, it, and there's a lot of stuff that actually sticks if you could believe it. Yeah, it's it's. I'd actually, I'd say maybe the editing is its yeah. biggest downfall. Is I would there's there's so much like stock footage uh, to transition between like Los Angeles stock footage to transition between scenes. Mm-hmm. I think if he actually treated the movie a little smaller, um, I think it would have been better. Um, he's also like best friends in the movie with Vinnie Jones, and uh, um, I forget what. Yeah, yeah, he because uh, he he borrows Vinnie Jones's car and uh, he kills that you know that agent who won't hire him uh, yeah. with it, and then f- ends up framing Vinnie Jones. Um, yeah. So not the uh, only person he frames in the movie. <laughs> yeah, and then eventually he you know he <laughs> ruins he turns on like all of his friends. So uh, Brian O'Halloran, you know, is apparently this he's got a script and he's directing this huge movie uh, that everyone in Hollywood is a buzz about, you know, gets him, (laughs) yeah, gets him framed. And then eventually Kevin Smith uh, frames him for something. Uh, So those things are fun, like fun watching like all those inside players. Uh, But um, the scene outside of the club where uh, Kevin is unloading on Jason is some of the best acting I've ever seen Kevin do on screen. It's, because I know he's talking about something that's actually personal to their their friendship, and I was just like, man, like this is like intense, and it's very well directed and very well executed. This like one moment is like perfect. Yeah, um, and he does a great job at acting, like uh, oh, yeah. as you know, playing this character of himself that actually wants to be taken seriously, and um, yeah, he's 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 more than just the uh, stoner best friend in this movie, so. Yeah. I like Danny Trejo in the movie wearing a feather boa and just walking around his fucking mansion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and all like all the like cutaways to like social media and stuff are just like, uh like, Yeah, but but what are you gonna do? Uh direct it differently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. I mean, that's also Stan Lee's last cameo too. Yeah. So it's fun seeing like those people involved, but um yeah, like there's just so much cutting away to like LA stock footage to transition between places i'm just like oh my god just be more creative i guess so um uh yeah that's all i watched corinne what'd you watch so just uh two things i'll talk about i finished community gotta say the latter seasons are not as good uh five is okay and six is not it's fine i guess just yeah it's like once they messed with the formula of you know like once troy left and pierce i mean his character was problematic obviously but there was something about like those first four seasons where it was like you know they really were more of a cohesive unit and you know, even like season four, like I know they started kind of writing Chevy Chase out of episodes, but, um, you know, in five, you know, they just kill him off and then Troy gets written out of the show. And then in six, um, crap, I can't think of her name now. Who's the black lady? Shirley. Shirley. That's right. Yeah. See, Shirley gets written out of the show. 
And then they bring in, I, I love Keith David, but he, I don't know, his character was so weird. And I'm so used to like his voice acting work that actually seeing him on screen was really bizarre. Which, fun fact, he was the one who narrated the documentary about the pillow and blanket fort. Yeah, the Civil War documentary. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That was great. Um, So it was kind of weird to have him come back as, like, an actual character. And then they brought in um, Paget Brewster, I think is her name. And she plays the consultant who also – I know her for her voice work. She's um, Della Duck in the new – Crap, what is it? <laughs> Blinking on everything tonight. DuckTales? DuckTales, DuckTales. <laughs> there we go. Um, yeah. So, in, I, I know her from care. Friends. Yeah, I, I never watched Friends, so. Good, I think that's great. I think the problem of, like, renewing a series and then treating it like, you know, you don't know if you're going to come back for another one, like, doing that almost three times, just, I think that's what kills it is like mm-hmm. you know there's no there's nothing to like you're sure certain to, like you can't build the arc for anybody because you don't know if it's worth it so i mean i honestly kind of wish i had to stop watching after season four because there, there were a couple of good episodes but they were few and far between and honestly it wasn't worth you know it's kind of like watching the office after michael leaves like yeah there's some good bits in there that some of it you'd you would hate to miss, but you have to sit through a lot of like stuff that just reminds you of how good the show used to be. And just you know, the, the only chemistry, difference the chemistry make, off, you know, the only uh, thing that I think community isn't quite as bad as the office is I think Andy is not a good character in the office and it makes some of the uh, later episodes really painful the way he treats Aaron and how his overall demeanor and there's never really that in community um, because you still have winger and stuff but yeah i get what you're saying right it's more like the character dynamics are off like once troy leaves abed just feels different because like his other half as it were is gone Mm -hmm. so they don't get to play off each other anymore so yeah they try to like get him to do other things which is kind of nice but yeah they kind of pair him up with annie you know Mm -hmm. well because they're roommates so that makes sense yeah. And other than Troy, she was probably the closest person in his, you know, in his circle. So I don't know. It was, it's definitely a show worth watching, but I guess if you haven't already seen it, just watch it up to the end of season four and then don't watch season five or six. Um, why I haven't gone, that's why I haven't gone to season five of Arrested Development that they did on Netflix because I'm like, after season four, I was just kind of burnt out on Arrested Development. I was like, I, it seems like this accidentally ended right where it needed to at season three. And then we kind of waited for some kind of revelation in the plot. Um, I didn't go past season three on community. So I kind of got wrapped up uh, the la- where I wrapped up. Um, I believe um, Ken Jong's hiding in the um, hiding in the uh, air vents of the school. Uh, and then that's as far as I got. <laughs> he does that for a couple seasons. Yeah, that's true. Well, or, I guess, with yeah, Annie's moves, so I couldn't tell <laughs> you where season three ended, but um, I'm trying to run a long time. One other point I want to make is that I guess I've just been spoiled lately on the series finales of a lot of my favorite shows, like Thirty Rocks, 
season series finale was amazing parks and rec and then the good place was like their series finale was awesome um but you know kind of like what brad was saying that they didn't know whether they were going to get a season seven so the de facto series finale it's kind of it just didn't land quite right like they were trying to half-ass two things where they were trying to do like a season six wrap-up but also kind of do a series wrap-up and it just doesn't land the way you would want a series finale to land because they're trying to hedge their bets and they're like well you know we don't want to write ourselves into a corner if we happen to get renewed so you just don't get the closure that I think you would really really want in a series finale so um let me it ask just, you. It left me feeling unsatisfied. So being that you're more of the TV person out of, well, not all of us, but like you're, you're very TV oriented. Um, I'd be curious to know at some point what you'd think of the Seinfeld finale. Cause I like having that discussion. <laughs> um, do, uh, have you watched Seinfeld? I guess is the first question. I have seen some episodes, but I never like actually watched it. Okay. And it was on the air when I was a kid. And that's not really yeah. a kid because I, I i i that was the first episode of seinfeld i ever saw was the last one because my parents had it on that night when we were all watching tv and i kept wondering why things were happening the way they happened and then i watched the series and i completely got it but apparently like people don't like that finale either and i'm 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 sort of perplexed as to why because it makes perfect sense <laughs> um but i'd be curious if you ever go through seinfeld let me know what you think of the finale in terms of the grand scheme of it all well, I know how it ends. I know they all go to jail, but... The, 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 the important part is, why are they going to jail? <laughs> right, because they're terrible people. Exactly. <laughs> so the other thing I watched, um, when I was um, writing my recent article, I realized I've never seen any Akira Kurosawa movies. So Ooh. I rented The Hidden Fortress. Hell yeah. Um... I, it was it was okay. Like I don't. It's long. It or well, it's two hours twenty minutes. So it, it's not actually long, but it feels longer than it is. And the pacing is really weird. Um, and I can definitely see a lot of the elements that George Lucas borrowed from it. Because the opening, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is Star Wars, and then it kind of goes off in a whole other direction and. I mean, I see a little bit of the influence, but they, he definitely took, like, the C-3PO and R2-D2 characters, um, at least, like, as far as, like, their narrative um, purpose in the story kind of took that from this movie and mm -hmm. a couple of other elements, too. But, I mean, it's it's good. It's, it's I, don't, I don't know how to explain it. Well, I, I think that they... It takes them a, a while to really, really get going. Um, so, uh, spoilers if you don't want to, because I tried to not, like, read the description on the back. I didn't want to know anything about it. All I knew was that um, it was kind of loosely, and uh, it was loose inspiration for Star Wars. So, the story of the Hidden Fortress is that there are these two peasants turned, like, soldiers and they get stuck on the wrong side of enemy lines. They need to get back over to their homeland. And they bump into this guy while they're, they just like, they're out in the woods and they find gold in 
these sticks that they were using to build their fire. And then this guy comes up and they think like, oh, he's going to like rob them or something. And he talks to them and he's like, hey, like, you know, what are you guys doing out here? And so they explain like, we're going to try to go home. Like we're in this one kingdom. We're going to go into the kingdom of the people who just attacked us so that we can get back to our homeland. So they, it's actually kind of a good scene where they draw like the borders between all the three lands. And they're like, we're going to go from here to there to there because this border is like very well protected. We can't get across. So he's like, whoa, haha, that's pretty cool. Um, here, I'm going to let you in on my plan. Sort of. He doesn't tell them all the details, but he brings them in uh, to the hidden fortress, which is not a fortress at all. <laughs> it's like a shack, um, but it's in this like canyony area and it's very inaccessible unless you know like the secret entrance to it so that's why they call it the hidden fortress um but fortress is a little misleading anyway the whole point is like the guy that they met is the bodyguard to this princess of the kingdom that got destroyed and they're trying to get her to the the king the same kingdom that the two uh peasants are going to because they have allies there and they will protect her. So they all group up and they leave and they try to get um, to safety. And that's like pretty much the whole movie. <laughs> There's a bunch of shenanigans. They're trying to carry a bunch of gold around and everybody's afraid like, oh, we can't leave the gold. We got to grab the gold. And so obviously the gold's really heavy. So they have to figure out a bunch of stuff and, there's like a big scene with a bonfire and they all start dancing around it. It's, it's pretty crazy. And like I said, it's, it feels long. Um, about the time that they actually get to the hidden fortress is maybe like 40 minutes into the movie. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot. Yeah. And um, so spoilers, um, two of the big things that happen at the very end is one, the princess, um, she's been kind of living among the common folk since her kingdom got destroyed and she's pretending to be a mute as she's traveling. And so she starts to see like some of the things that her people have undergone, um, you know, like the war torn refugees and like how this one lady is now a prostitute in a brothel because she basically got kidnapped and enslaved to be a prostitute. So they buy her freedom and she, you know, she gets to live like a commoner, and she makes some remarks of, about it at the very end of the movie. And I'm like, oh, I guess that was supposed to be like a thing. Like other than the scene where she bought the enslaved lady, I didn't really get that that was like a thing. Um, there, there is like a nice sequence there in the brothel where she's like looking around at all the other women. But other than that, like, that wasn't like a big theme or a big plot point in the movie. It just kind of gets brought up at the very end. And then the other thing is like, there's this enemy general who ends up helping them get away um, at the very, very end. And the scene where they kind of win him over is, mm, I mean, I guess I wanted more. It's not like the, the foundation is there, but the execution, it just seems so out of left field. Like, Oh, I, there's, I know they're setting him up to turn and to betray his people and to help them to safety. But I only know that because I've seen movies. 
but it just, it doesn't feel quite natural for his character. I, I wanted a little bit more there, but I think part of it is, they spend so much time on the two peasants and I'm like, there are these other, and there are these other characters that are arguably more interesting. Why didn't we give them more screen time, more development? You know what I mean? Well, I think a part, a big part of it is if you're watching Kurosawa, which I'm, I'm light on Kurosawa, which is a crime, but I've seen uh, Hidden Fortress, Seven Samurai, and Yojimbo. And a lot of those are the building blocks to what we see in the blockbusters, where a lot of those issues that you're bringing up gets moved out down the line. Um, so, like, it, it, I think if anything, what you're watching is, like, the building blocks for it and less the um, the perfect execution. Like, Because then that's something that Lucas sees and then applies arguably a little bit more streamlined logic through in star Wars. Um, so it's, it's a building block. So that that might be why it, it's reading to you that way, which is totally natural. If you've seen star Wars before you watch hidden fortress, of course, but, mm-hmm. but I mean, um, I, yeah. If you, if you guys um, can rent it from your libraries or whatever, it's totally worth it because it has the criterion. At least my mm-hmm. library had the criterion version and they have, um, this 40 minute behind the scenes documentary and it goes through all these like cool details the guy who gets killed at the very beginning like the opening sequence the foot soldier who just you know they, he's talking about like how you know they you um like they ram him and like the spears are like retractable and he was wearing like a thing underneath but i guess they did it they only had one take he said um, but in the take they got, one of the horses clips his head when they ride away. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> Yikes. Um, and they talked about um, Toshiro Mifune, I think is his name. He plays the yeah. samurai. Yeah, he plays the samurai general. He was in a lot of other Akira Kurosawa films. Um, oh, yeah. Very, very big actor in Japan. And he does an excellent job in the movie. And they said that he was the best horse rider that their um, horse coordinator person had ever worked with. Which, um, the sequence, so there's a long sequence where he is uh, fighting these guys on horseback, and they said that he had nightmares about that sequence, because I guess he didn't feel confident in his horse riding abilities, but he pulled it off really well. And there uh, was another guy who would have been his stunt double, but he said that he could do it. And they pull back and like there's the shot of the two guys and the his stunt double is in the makeup and they look exactly the same and I'm like that's <laughs> creepy, um, <laughs> so it's a the behind the scenes documentary is really well done. It's also in Japanese. I know some people don't like foreign films because they don't like reading, but whatever. Um, and then they do have like an eight minute clip of George Lucas talking about his experience with Kurosawa and the elements that he borrowed from the hidden fortress or took inspiration from i should say yes borrowed that's what i did i borrowed <laughs> um no i corinne if you ever if you if you want to keep going on the kurosawa train watch your jimbo it's 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 good it's that's the that's the basic setup for um a fistful of dollars and uh, the man with no name that clint eastwood plays and then um seven samurai is what magnificent seven uh ends up being Yeah, that's another thing they talk about in the documentary is that Akira Kurosawa and John Ford were really good friends. 
And I knew that the samurai movies influenced the Western films, uh, like, you know, the seven samurai became, becoming the magnificent seven, but I never realized it was the other way around too, where a Kurosawa took a lot of inspiration from John Ford's films yeah. to the point where when they have the horseback riding chase sequence, he said that he specifically wanted them to put dust on the road so it would kick up the dust and it would it, um, further demonstrate like the speed and the strength of the horses as they were running. Yeah. And I think, and I think Kurosawa knows, knows how to use space the way John Ford knew how to use space, like in terms of just setting up and establishing your environment, which I, yeah. Yeah. They talk about how he used long lenses a lot in the, in the hidden fortress. Oh, so one more scene I want to talk about. So there's the scene where they're approaching the hidden fortress. The peasants have to run up this scree field, which is like this really big, loose rock. And I felt so bad for those actors because they're like running up and they like half fall down. And then like, I don't know, it's, they, it looked like not fun at all. And they're in like shorts. So yeah. um, all just it takes is like one wrong move and like, boom, you got a big old gash in your leg and it's just not going to be fun. No, so no. perhaps to those guys, because they were like in their 40s and 50s and they were doing a whole bunch of like crazy stunts for the movie. Yeah. Um, so The Hidden Fortress, check it out if you want. Cool. Zach, what'd you watch? Um, not a whole lot. Um, I went through three different X-Men movies, um, cause why not? Um, I first rewatched Logan cause I hadn't watched Logan since theaters and God, that movie's still fucking good. Um, there's a, I'm trying to think of what I would have taken out of my 2017 film explosion list in putting and replacing it with Logan. And I think it might be the disaster artist cause I haven't gone back to the disaster artist since it came out. Um, but, uh, but, it, but it still looks great. Feels great. It's, Patrick Stewart knocking a nomination for an Oscar still kind of bothers me. I know that there was no snowball chance in hell of that happening, but God damn yeah, it. They, when don't, he's, they, they don't treat comic book movies with any respect they, at all, but they did give that movie a, a screenplay nomination, which I thought was amazing. Um, did but Stewart get a BAFTA maybe? I, I don't know. Pa- perhaps maybe I did. Um, but no, the scene where he's in the bed and he's breaking down and revealing what happened, um, and why all the students are gone. I, it's, ah, I love it. And yeah, it, it just, everything on that movie just works so well and beautiful. Um, and then, so I do, I revisited, um, X-Men Days of Futures Past and X2, um, right after that. And I hadn't watched the Rogue cut of Days of Future Past before. So I, 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 I hadn't seen that since theaters either. So I was like, okay, well, I'll watch the road cut because I haven't done that yet. And primarily, if I'm recalled correctly from the theatrical cut, it's really just establishing that Rogue gets broken out of that prison and then replacing Kitty after she gets stabbed by... Um, uh, uh, she doesn't get stabbed by Wolverine. No, but, but anyway, she replaces Kitty because Kitty's losing a lot of blood after an attack. Bobby dying the way he dies in that film. Um, and then also, there's another use of the word fuck in the in that cut. So they get two fucks in the movie, um, which is why 
you know, obviously it's an alternate cut, but, um, but I really, really dug rewatching that film and just watching basically Wolverine not getting to really utilize much of his pa- like claws or anything. Cause he still got the bone claws at that point because of the timeline. And so I was like, that's, it's interesting to watch an X-Men movie where Wolverine is not your primary uh, point of aggressive attack. And it's primarily focusing on the, the beginnings crew with McAvoy and Holt and those guys. Um, and just, I, and I still love watching Ian McKellen um, go, uh, go outside and doing battle with the Sentinels with uh, Storm and um, Bishop, I think. And just like, it just literally unloading. It just, it's cool to watch Ian McKellen do cool shit. And I, and I love it. And the, uh, the scene where Patrick Stewart is talking to McAvoy through the past and talking about, we need you to hope again is still a wonderful moment in that movie. Um, I don't want your future. (laughs) (laughs) Please, Brad, we need you to hope again. (laughs) I don't Um, want your laugh. But I do, I do, I also love that, that reveal at the end when he's talking to Xavier after he's reset the timeline and he just, he's, he's basically revealing that he's finally woken up from that, like from having to fix the timeline and Patrick, the look on Patrick Stewart's face where he's like, welcome back. Like, it's just a great like correlation of matching up. It, it proves that Stewart's really good at his job when he's able to just kind of go off of what McAvoy has been struggling through in that timeline. And then to get to that one perfect moment in that movie. Um, and then I rewatched X2 cause I hadn't watched that in a long ass time. And is Brian Cox the best performance in that movie? Cause I'm going to make an argument for him being the best performance in that movie. He's really fucking great in that movie. Um, and yeah. And then also um, when McKellen and Stuart are in his prison cell and they're talking about how uh, Eric had revealed everything about the school and Cerebro to Stryker because he was doing that, um, that eyedropper uh, solution to control them. Um, and he, you see Stuart obviously like panicking and calling out for Scott. And it's just that great shot of, McKellen sliding down and he's going, you should have killed me when you had the chance. Like it's, it's just great. Like all the acting in those films is fantastic. In spite of the stories that have been coming out this week about the creative uh, head of those projects being a total ass. Um, But regardless, yeah, those those are fun. I might want to go through all the X-Men movies again and reassess them, including dark Phoenix, because I haven't watched dark Phoenix since theaters. And I, I don't remember I don't remember liking it, but I don't remember hating it. So um, I got the uh, Ultra HD on Black Friday when it was six bucks. I have not watched it. Have you have you rewatched it since then? Or oh no, nope. oh, you just told me. Sorry, I lag in the feed there. Um, hey Zach, yeah, no. Zach, yeah, I have some good news for you. What? Uh, Patrick Stewart did win Best Supporting Actor for Logan at the Saturn Awards. And you and you know. What what won it for him? You know what won it for him was that beautiful line when he's in the middle of that big fear and Logan walks in and he's having one of his mental freakouts and he goes, try the new quesalupa at Taco Bell. That was the clip that they must have showed at the Saturn Awards because it is, it is a perfect moment to show that doesn't spoil anything. Um, but yeah, no, good for Patrick Stewart. Um, I still have to watch Picard. So uh, I'm sorry, Mr. Stewart. Um, 
And then the only other thing I watched was a new movie um, with Romney Malco called Tijuana Jackson, Purpose Over Prison. Um, it's based on a character that I guess he created uh, over 20 years ago that I was not aware of. Um, but it's a, uh, he plays uh, Romney Malco from 40-Year-Old Virgin and Love Guru, um, plays a, uh, a prisoner named Tijuana Jackson who is an aspiring motivational speaker. And he gets out of prison and a docu- a student film documentary crew is shooting his life story and his ascension to uh, becoming the greatest motivational speaker. And the film is surprisingly really good. Um, I, I didn't know what to expect from seeing it, but I like Romney Malco in the things that he's in, even if not every, even if the movie itself isn't great. And this film is pretty interesting. He wrote and directed it himself and it's a it's a comedy that, that all aligned between talking about current modern issues in a way that I thought was towing an interesting line. I don't know if it always works, but I appreciated where it was tapping into like injustices in the correctional system or, you know, discussing, you know, what is life for people after they get on parole, um, especially for people of color and just watching the comedy unfold was pretty interesting because it it's really funny. Um, but there is a point where it becomes a little bit more downbeat and then it finds a way to get back on its feet. So um, if you want to check it out, it's available for rental. I just kind of picked it out on a whim, but yeah, uh, it was pretty good. I I enjoyed it. Um, And uh, really good. I haven't seen some of the recent stuff she's been doing, but I've heard she's really good in a movie called support the girls, which is about like women working in like a Hooters type of establishment and I, I really want to check that out. So, but yeah, that's, that's all I watched this week, guys. Cool. Uh, I just watched a couple things. Um, I, uh, my, my, uh, collector's edition of 13 ghosts came in. Oh, um, hell yeah. And that movie's cool. Like it's not a great movie, um, no. but the character designs in it are really cool. Um, the story is garbage. The acting is not that great. Really well uh, designed um, from a, uh, a, I don't call it like a production design. Yeah. Production design. Thank you. Production design. Uh, KMB did the monsters. So they look great. There's lots of gore in it. Um, But the, the story is really bad and the acting is all over the place. Um, When you have F Murray Abraham and he's not that great in it. Um, you know, yeah. Uh, but you, you, you don't go to watch the acting. You go to watch, you know, monsters and ghosts kill people, which they do. Yeah. Um, I haven't really been able to dig into the special features, but when I do, I'll post it on the Scream Factory Crypt. Um, it's a it's a fun movie. It takes me back to going to see those kind of movies in the theater. Um, so that was that that was fun. Um, I watched a film called uh, We Summon the Darkness, which is um. Alexandria, I forget. I always forget how to pronounce her last name. I think it's Daddario. Yeah, Daddario. And uh, she's a producer on it, and it's about these girls that go to a heavy metal show and meet these guys, and there's a bunch of satanic cult murderers happening all over the place. And I, I won't spoil the film, but um, it happens with the girls and the guys they meet at the concert. So it's a kind of a home invasion movie. Um, kind of a satanic cult movie. 
I don't know how to describe it. Um, Johnny Knoxville is in it. <laughs> so you can uh, see him, you know, not be a jackass. I'm Johnny Knoxville. Welcome to the darkness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's funny. I was, I was just scrolling through Twitter and they posted uh, comedy central UK posted from Jackass three, when they get into the ring with the Ram and <laughs> Ryan Dunn gets the shit kicked out of him by this Ram. <laughs> it's so stupid, but it's always makes me laugh. Um, Good stuff. Uh, I gotta watch some Jackass. That sounds really good right now. Heck I just, yeah! I just thought of what Brad said and want to follow it up with like, "Hi, I'm Johnny Knoxville. Welcome to hell. The gates of hell open, and you hear bow, 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 bow. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I finally got my uh, copy of Creep Show, the TV show that debuted on Shutter. Um, and it's pretty good. Um, you can tell they don't quite have the budget that the movies did obviously, but it's also created by Greg Nicotero and the gore. And it's pretty cool. The monsters look pretty awesome. Um, and, and each story is really unique. The first one is a short story based on a Stephen King film about uh, this guy who's always thirsty. And it's, I think it's called like the gray stuff or something. Um, and the interstitials are introduced by the creep. Some are comic book. Some are CGI, some are a puppet. So it's kind of a cool variety. Uh, the second episode is called The Head, I think it is. And it's a really cool episode or uh, story. It's not scary at all, but it's about this little girl that has a dollhouse. And in it, she sets up the family and the dog. And then one day there's a severed zombie head in her house. And she doesn't know why. And the character's or the dolls around the house keep on changing from where she left them. So she'll put them, I don't know, eating dinner and then she'll come back from school. And when she opens up her dollhouse, they'll all be, have a scared look on their face. And they'll be pointing upstairs and like the zombie head is up there. And then she gets a policeman doll and he gets killed. It's, it's actually a pretty cool little uh, story. Um, there's a fun one with werewolves and Nazis. Um yeah, it's just kind of a fun show. I only watched the first three episodes. Each episode has two stories. Um, it, it's kind of cool to see. I, I love anthology horror. And some of the directors lean into the, the campiness of Creepshow a little more than the others. Um, but it all works, and it's all pretty fun. Um, and the, uh, uh, the last thing I watched was HBO Max was streaming a film I've never seen. Um, it's called A Guy Named Joe, which stars Irene Dunn and Spencer Tracy. And uh, Spielberg remade it in a film called Always. And um, this one's a little different. Always, it's uh, uh, a fire pi- a firefighter pilot who uh, dies in a plane crash. And it's a little more sentimental. Um, it's also Catherine Hepburn's last film, which she was uh, Spencer Tracy's partner for 26 years. So I don't know if she decided to do Always because Spencer Tracy did um, A Guy Named Joe. Wait, uh, wasn't always Audrey Hepburn's last film? Audrey Hepburn. Is it Audrey Hepburn? Yeah. Oh, I yeah. got it mixed up. Sorry. Um, okay. So yeah, Audrey Hepburn's last film. I thought it was um, like that was an amazing coincidence. If I know, I was, I don't know. Why I thought of that. <laughs> Anyways, um, uh, but yeah. So a guy named Joe stars Spencer Tracy and Irene Dunn. They're both pilots in World War II. Um, their boyfriend girlfriend, and it's a really cute movie at the beginning. It's kind of a silly comedy. And then Spencer Tracy goes on this mission that Irene Dunn doesn't want him to go on. And he ends up dying in the mission and he comes back as an angel. And as part of him coming back as an angel, as he teaches 
the other young pilots how to fly the jets and um, teach them how to win battles. And he's doing it, you know, through their subconscious. So they'll be flying and he'll say, hey, you know, you're a football star. You need to do this. So it's actually a really cute movie. Um, But it also deals with letting go uh, because after uh, Spencer Tracy's character dies, Irene Dunn, um, she breaks down and she's depressed, obviously. And she can't snap out of it until her major comes in and she's, he says, you know, um, he's gone, but doesn't mean you have to be gone too. So some time has passed. She eventually goes down and meets another pilot who she starts falling for, but she has a hard time falling for him because he reminds her so much of uh, Spencer Tracy and it's, it's actually a really cute movie because Spencer Tracy as the angel is kind of in the background constantly and telling he's trying to get over losing her and he doesn't understand. It's like, you don't understand that you'll never have her again and she needs to move on. So he kind of has a moment with her where he tells her it's okay her to pursue another relationship it's a really cute movie. It's really um, well done. Uh, I, I've said it before. I absolutely love um, Irene Dunn. She's fantastic in the movie. She's she's fantastic in everything. She's so beautiful and so funny. And you just I just relate to her so well because she's just such a great actress. And Spencer Tracy is one of the greatest actors of all time. And he's great in the movie. Uh, it's directed by Victor Fleming. So it has really nice pedigree to it. Yeah. Uh, it, it's it's a really great film and it's cleaned up really nicely on HBO Max not like bringing up baby so it's uh, I'm hoping that a Blu-ray of it will come out soon because uh, it deserves one it's it's a really really great film and that's what I watched this week I know this week on Real Nerds Podcast I subjected two people that have never seen one of the greatest horror films of all time uh, to Day of the Dead. Brad, you've never seen Day of the Dead. Should people watch Day of the Dead? You know, um, it's tough because I think the story in this movie has been done again and again more recently in zombie movies that I was already... I felt like I already watched this movie. Um... So I I was not into it. Uh, a lot of the characters are just so melodramatic and like over the top. Um, like they're just like frustrating to watch acting wise. Um, but the gore and like effects are pretty fun. Like, and that's really, you really go to this movie for is to watch like the makeup and the zombies. Um, I think this it would movie would actually look better not as cleaned up um because you can definitely see like a lot of the makeup looks like makeup now in, in like hd so i i thought i thought it'd be cooler if you were back in the 80s watching like a terrible work print of this film it would look better but yeah just like story-wise i'm just like i've seen this movie before because it's been pulled apart and made into other movies so i just never really buy the whole uh like we can train the undead to do what we want, you know. Corinne, should people watch Day of the Dead? I pretty much agree with everything that Brad just said. 
I, I know uh, Ryan had warned me in advance that, you know, these are char characters that are not likable. You're going to actively root for them to die. And that was pretty much the case. Um, the main three who, spoilers, end up living at the end were probably the least worst of them. So I was like, okay, I'm glad that they made it at least. But it seemed like it was kind of the same idea as Night of the Living Dead, where you have a bunch of people who are trying desperately to survive and they, you know, let their anger and their pride cloud their judgment instead of cooperating with each other. They all want to, you know, do their own thing and nobody wants to listen to anybody else. So a lot of people end up getting killed in this very needless and gory way. So considering I don't really like gore and like really violent movies like this, it's not really my thing, but if it is your thing, then I guess go for it. Zach, what do you, what do you think of day of the dead? Well, I mean, I, I, I'm a, I'm a Romero lover. So of course I love this film. Um, I hadn't watched this film in a long time. So going back to it, the first time I saw it, it was not my favorite uh, dead movie from Romero. Um, I think I clung to Night of the Living and with Dawn of the Dead being a second. And then I liked Land of the Dead a lot when I was younger. This one, when I watched it last night um, uh, for the first time in a while, it, it, it grew on me way more than it did before. And I think a lot of it is because th there is no one is likable in this film. And I do tend to nowadays like gravitate towards those stories and watching people collapse that way in the respect of Romero doing it underground in this mine where they're experimenting on zombies and trying to figure out a way to control them. I was like, I was enamored by the story as well as the effects. Cause like before I was just enamored with, Savini's effects work in it and now I was really niching with the story very well um I think this cast is actually pretty fantastic the over-the-topness is interesting because I think with with characters like Rhodes and um uh Logan they work because there are they are dealing with an unexpected out-of-control situation being stuck in this bunker scientists versus the military during a zombie apocalypse and I guess I'm able to look at it through the lens of this having not been done up to this point and just watching it unfold was pretty spectacular. I, I don't know if it's my favorite film that Romero's directed, but I think it might be, you could put it on a list of like the top three films that he's ever directed because it is, it is a masterstroke in a brutal, aggressively nightmarish zombie movie of that era. Um, and Bub is is a creation that I think you can't deny is one of the most fantastic creations in the horror genre. So yeah, watch this fucking movie and get the Screen Factory version. Uh, I, I said, like I said on the top, I actually it's one of my favorite horror films of all time. Um, I think people should see it, but just like I told Corinne, there is a lot of caveats to the film because you. Here's a trailer for Day of the Dead. I think you should see it. First came the night, then came the dawn. Now comes the most eagerly awaited day in horror film history. George A. Romero's Day of the Dead. 
We've been punished by the creator. We visited a curse. Hello! Is anyone there? For the few remaining, their only hope of survival is to find a cure. You're wasting time trying to define what's happening. But the odds are against them. We're in the minority now. Something like 400,000 to one by my calculations. And so is Captain Rhodes. Anybody else have any questions about the way things are going to run around here from now on? Their one chance is Bub. It's working on instinct. A deep, dark, primordial instinct. But their time is running out. They can be fooled, don't you see? They can be tricked into being good little girls and boys. Same way we were tricked into it. I promise some reward to come. But when the tricks wouldn't work... Their world fell apart. So Day of the Dead picks up, I don't know, a couple months, a year, a couple years after the zombie apocalypse has started. And it's not the term. Yeah. Um, when was it made? 85? 85, yeah. And that is Living Dead is like 1968. 68, 69. Yeah. And then Dawn of the Dead, 74. So there's like a lot of time in between. And there's a reason for why there's so much time in between Dawn and this one. Well, yeah, I, I get that, but like production design wise, I didn't feel like it was the '60s when I was watching it. So yeah, no, it's not. But I, it's I don't think there's an I don't think it's an actual like twenty years later. I think it's more of a couple years later. There's no really. It's not like an actual set timeline, like you know the MCU or anything. It's more of this is what's happening now with the zombie apocalypse. We're dropping you right in the middle of it. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it's it's so it's about a group of scientists and a group of military guys that are put on a base where they have to, the military guys are basically the security, the research people are trying to figure out a way to stop the zombies. And it's a very interesting character study because um, where I don't think, I mean, Rhodes is a little over the top. I don't think the characters are over the top. And the only reason I say that is because you have people that have been stuck down in the basement or this cave Mm -hmm. and they hate each other. They don't understand why. I mean, and I I said, I don't think there's actually a likable character in this film. Maybe the helicopter pilot, maybe the radio guy, they're okay. But even um, Sarah, who is the main character, she's not the best person. Um, You know, her boyfriend, Miguel is a coward and he's aggravating um, Rhodes is way over the top. Then you have Steel, and, and, and she lets right. him abuse her. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And Steel is a racist and a hothead. Um, you know, maybe the only dude who's not crazy is the other research assistant guy with the glasses. I always forget his name, um, but he kind of just helps out. And it's a really interesting study too because you know Logan, yeah. Yeah, uh, Logan, who is, they call Dr. Frankenstein, 
he's not doing the experiments on the zombies because he thinks he can domesticate them. It's because he's lost his mind. He doesn't, because what he's doing is ridiculous and everybody knows it. And what makes Sarah not a good character is she protects him from the army guys because she knows what's going to happen to him. And, you know, there's, there's so many moments in this movie where you just, you cannot believe how horrible these people are. And you you don't root for them. I I think the movie is incredibly intense and it doesn't ever really let up. And the, I kind of tuned out until they got to that scene where I think like the scientists are making like their daily report. Yeah. And then uh, I don't, the character's names, but like the main, the head of the army guys like threatens to kill her on the spot. If she doesn't yeah. just sit down. Yeah, really, yeah. And it's like, it's part of me. Like that frustrates me is that like, no, like if I was in that room, like I would have waited for my opportunity and just shot the head army guy. Like, cause it, that, that's a guy who seems like he's lost his mind. Yeah, and it's it, well, that's what it's an interesting character study because again, it's people who hate each other, and they're forced to stay there because where are they going to go? Yeah, you can't you can't go outside. Well, that's why I'm like, like Doctor Frankenstein's like he's got a point of like you know we yeah. can't you know where are you going to go? Like we have to oh, find yeah. a way to like cure this or like uh, band aid it, you know. But you're you're doomed anyways because his solution of rewarding the zombies is you're going to run out of things to feed them. Right. So his, his plan isn't going to work where, you know, the Sarah, the other doctor, she's trying to figure out, is there a way to eradicate the actual zombies? And it kind of delves into was a little she trying to do that. Cause I, I mean, like I know they said she was part of the research team mm-hmm. and there's just like one scene where she's like looking at vials of blood or something, but I actually had no idea what her role was or what she, what she was researching in comparison to him. So there, in, in the scene um, that Brad just talked about, she says that she's looking for chemical agents to neutralize the part of their brain that makes him reanimate. Yeah. So that's what she's doing. And, then, and at a certain point, her role becomes less focused on the science and more trying to figure out how to keep everybody from shooting each other, which... Yeah. And then um, it becomes, yeah. you know, survival. I think actually the the scene Brad brought up where he where Rhodes is just flat out shoot, threatening to shoot Sarah if he, she doesn't get back in her seat. That scene, the majority of that that scene goes on for longer than ten minutes, and it is like it, it is a masterclass in tension directing of just like set several different angles, several different setups getting these guys getting that conflict all on film and just tightening it down to that, to that point of just like there, everything's about to boil over for all these fucking people. Like it is like, I, I was floored rewatching how, how that, how long the scene goes and how it's executed. And just like the, pretty much everybody's character quirks come out at that moment. So it's almost like another good way to get your characterizations out of the way so that you start blending, like you start feeling a lot more for these characters, regardless of how unlikable they are. Like, yeah, I think John and Bill are the only ones that are remotely likable from like a a, a, a set of standard decency, because at least they mm-hmm. are, they're removed from both the scientific and the army end because they're pretty much just technicians. They're just kind of there to do their job. And that's, and that's, 
uh, sorry, Zach, that's the scene where Sarah comes and visits them, and she says that to them. Yeah. She says, you guys don't even lift a finger to help, and yeah. you guys aren't doing this, and you aren't doing that, and so you're not in there like I am, and you you know, you know, talk about all this stuff and how they're not going to shoot me because I have to fly the, the helicopter. And Which, it is a really interesting turn for them because they actually, after that, kind of start getting involved. Yeah, and, and, um, and kind of she kind of she's both kind of right and kind of wrong because then when they yeah when they threaten to shoot John if he doesn't fly them out, like it it becomes a struggle between like what are they actually expendable or not? It's 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 really it's really well executed how they play that that moment when they put Bill and Sarah in the pen and are threatening him and then they get into their little tussle. And I love John's speech when they're at her, when she's at their house about like, why did this happen? And his, like his theory as to why this happened, like that monologue is really well delivered. <laughs> like mm-hmm. for what the character that he's given, it's really well delivered. Um, and yeah, then it's like, like you know... I didn't understand why Miguel decided to let all the zombies in. Uh, Cause he's just tired of them. Yeah, he's he tired was, of everybody. Yeah, being his girlfriend. I mean, I know oh, yeah. I like those other guys, but geez. Well, like they have that one scene after he's given the sedative, and he tells her. I mean, he's a horrible person. He tells her that you know he's like you're such a fucking bitch that you do this to me and you're scared just like I am and fuck you and he's a not a good dude and. Yeah. He he snapped under the pressure, and that's what I mean. It's a really tough movie. I mean, I really enjoy this movie, and um, but it's a really tough movie to watch and a really tough movie to recommend because it's not for everybody. And it's one of those movies, too, when it came out where it wasn't appreciated at all because you go from night where it's pretty much a straight horror film, and, I mean, you have – the tensions and stuff, but it's pretty straight. And then Dawn is kind of silly um, where, you know, they're in a mall and the zombies are on the ice skating rink and falling down and things like that. And then you go to this one where the zombies aren't funny. <laughs> the people aren't funny. Um, it's just basically terror. And I, I, I will argue one funny moment from a zombie. And it's when Bub gives, um, Rhodes the salute before Rhodes is teared apart. That Bub is the most is the most sympathetic character. In the <laughs> he really is. Yeah, he I is. That. He is. He is fantastic. And that just that moment. And, and I do like when Rhodes, as he's getting torn apart, he's like, "Choke on him, choke on him." <laughs> yeah, you know, that's um, the theme that Romero explores. And if you watch all his zombie films, they actually go through this. Is um, you know, the zombies, you are the monsters and stuff in the film, but they never really chose to be that. No. And that's where, you know, Bub or um, what's the name of the, the zombie in Land of the Dead? Uh, oh, fuck. It's like Bubba or something. Yeah, Bubba. No, yeah, 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 yeah. Or, I forget. But he's like the he's the big zombie, too. But they slowly start to learn, you know, be a little smarter, um, remember their past life. And, you know, that the scene where uh, Bub finds Dr. Logan dead mm-hmm. is it could be silly, but it's not because you understand that he's reliving these emotions. And, you know, Dr. Logan told them that he's remembering things. And if someone's your friend and no matter what, if something happens to him, 
you're going to react that way. And Bub becomes from this kind of docile zombie to being kind of terrifying because he understands how to use the gun. And, you know, his stalking of Rhodes is, is another great moment in the film. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was something I never knew I needed to see, a zombie using a gun. Yeah. That was just such an interesting concept. And I agree with you about when he finds uh, Dr. Logan and just the simple fact that, first of all, he showed emotion, like he was affected by his death. But second, that he, instead of seeing him as like, oh, hey, lunch, like here's this fresh body that I can eat. He instead recognized him as uh, someone that he cared about. And yeah. he was visibly upset, you know, and he, what, you know, I don't know if he had some kind of zombie urge to eat. I mean, obviously he does, but I don't know if he was like visibly fighting it during that scene, but the fact that he never even considers eating Dr. Logan or the other body parts in the, in the fr- refrigerator or freezer just indicates like, yeah, he is becoming more human. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And basically kind of like upending the initial theory that it's only being driven by instinct when it comes to feed, because clearly it's, it's Romero talked about it in the behind the scenes documentary on the screen Blu-ray about how like, he doesn't think that I, I, I can't remember the exact wording, but Ryan, I think you've seen this doc where, Oh yeah. It's awesome. He talks, he talks about how he doesn't think that they can like, like actually think and cohesive, but they are able to like recall things. Yeah. And like behavior behaviorally, and so like the line that it's towed in it because I think he expands way more and he expands way more on the land of the land of the dead. Oh yeah, where they just where they're where it's almost like they're slowly quote unquote evolving, but I don't think that would be the terminology he'd use. It's kind of like like a like a toddler, like a really young yeah. toddler. Yeah. Like they can yeah. kind of like recognize things, and they like they have associations of like this guy is good and music is good. And if I press green button, it will play music like that kind of thing. That music scene where he's listening to music, like it's some beautiful acting out of um, uh, Sherman Howard, like playing Bub, just reacting to music. Like it's, it's these small, there are small touches in this movie that are fucking brilliant. And um, I, going on the themes of how, what Ryan was, was talking about earlier, like, it's interesting how like the each of the three films tackles a different uh, subsect of human behavior, whether it's or and and societal um, ills, whether it's racism in the first one, consumerism in the second one, and then the third one, it's basically like the breakdown and division in society itself. Like in a weird way, Day of the Dead is the is one of the more in a way is one of the most relevant of his films in regards to our current climate because Mm -hmm. of how it lines that division up and plays it out with everybody acting as nasty as possible. Like it's, it's pretty, it's, he was a fucking genius as a director. God damn it. Why is he? But I mean, I would argue that you can find other media that has the same kind of setup and the same kind of themes and that whole idea of like people, you know, mob mentality and everyone tearing each other apart. And you don't need to sit through an hour and a half long movie to do it. You don't need to sit through this super gory. Just go watch the monsters are due on Maple Street in the Twilight Zone series. Like there there are other shorter, arguably better versions of the same idea. Yeah, but when you have the zombies, you also 
also have the outlining threat. So there's a sense of urgency to everything they do that I think can't be replicated in a lot of um, films because the zombies are a constant threat. So there's always this driving force and this uh, urgency to zombie films, I personally think. They're the cattle. We already had that in the first one in Night of the Living Dead. They did the same thing and the zombies were a constant threat there. But they're the they're 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 used as the catalyst for Romero to talk about an issue that he's passionate about, mm-hmm. and that's that's no different than what Serling did with each and every episode of Twilight Zone. Like these stories get told constantly over and over again in different forms that one person will prefer one over another. So like I think that you know, their monster monsters do on Maple Street is a good is a good way to go with it, but also Day of the Dead is another way if you if you're more inclined to the zombie audience than or to the zombie films, then this is a good, this is a good little watch for you. I think my favorite gore moment is when the one dude is getting his uh, head ripped off and his scream changes as they're ripping oh. his larynx out. Yeah. That he, uh, <laughs> so Savini, brutal. Talked, Savini talked about how he didn't like the camera angle because it looked like you couldn't see much of it. And then somebody apparently had to point out to him, like, do you notice how when his vocal cords are being torn up that his, the pitch in his voice changes to the highest pitch possible? I was like, I did not even think about that. That is, that is fucking genius. That's another genius move there. Yeah. It's, uh, it's pretty brutal. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's, uh, and, and, and there's a lot of, uh, there's, there's a lot of the dread in this film is, is pretty admirable for, uh, a film in the eighties because it's, it's a decade that seems to be a lot more optimistic when you look at like the films that people remember from the eighties. And this is, you know, the part that I think is the most haunting in this movie is after the zombies kill everybody. And then there's that really like low music. And then it's, you don't see really the zombies too much, but you see them like dragging body parts. And um, you know, because it's, this is all this fighting, all this disliking people, this is all it's led to is just, carnage. you're nothing. Yeah. You're nothing but car- it's, it's carnage and you're nothing but somebody's snack. And it's yeah. uh it's really creepily shot. You know, they do a lot of tracking shots. They do a lot of uh, handheld shots. And I just think it's, it's really effective. Yeah. R- quick question. Uh, bub aside, who's our favorite non bub zombie? Cause mine's the clown. Because he's just in one shot, and I just like the the look of a clown zombie. <laughs> uh, I like the one at the beginning where it's like tongue and jaws falling off. <laughs> oh god, that puppet! Oh, that puppet yeah. is fucking cool, man. Yeah, it, it, it's it's amazing how well that looks on the Blu-ray. Because he uh, Tavini talked about how like it's it's too crushed black at the bottom of the jaw, but like you can still see like a shit. Yeah. Prosthetic. So, Corinne, when you saw that puppet, were you like, I can't believe I'm watching this movie? <laughs> Uh, it was definitely uh, gross. <laughs> I don't know. And awesome. I mean, well, the coolest zombie of all time is Tar Man from uh, Return to the Living Dead. But which, you know. by the way, that's part of the reason why this movie was not a huge success was because they kind of basically came out in the same year. So, like, there's this one zombie movie that's doing a more comedic turn with it and a little more over the top intentionally, and then Day of the Dead, which is a little bit more austere in its approach uh, inherently is is seen as the downer film it's interesting how uh, both of them are cult hits but this one grew in appreciation over the years in like such an amazing way 
You know, something that this movie made me wonder is with all the, you know, weird and gross dismemberment and all the zombies or all the people getting eaten is where did the zombies come from? Because, I mean, the whole idea of zombies is that they eat living people. So were the so were the zombies like the first ones who got infected? So, uh, the zombies are in the first night living dead are the recently deceased mm. and by, and by biting people, they transfer whatever disease they have to them, causing them to become zombies. So if they're not, right. I get that, but I'm, yeah. I'm saying like, I know like the Miguel, he got bitten on the arm, mm-hmm. but everyone else, including Miguel later in the movie, they totally get like dismembered and their, you know, their body parts get dragged around and eaten and stuff. And it's like, okay, so they're not going to become zombies. And yeah, I, no, I, th- I think a lot of it is like Miguel where you might get scratched or bit and you run away and then eventually you right. turn into a zombie. It's, That's what know, I'm saying. Like yeah. maybe the, fr- like that, the, that initial wave, like the people when there weren't a lot of zombies around, like you got bitten because maybe they just like popped out of nowhere. And yeah. like one of them scared you and bit you on the arm. And then you later become a zombie. Yeah, I mean, that's always the argument with zombies is by themselves, they're not scary. But when they're in a group is when there's a lot of trouble. Well, also the question of whether they can run. Uh, George Romero will never have his zombies run because they're dead. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't make sense for a zombie to run. because they're yeah. they, Your legs would fall apart while you're running. For a zombie to be alive, quote unquote, because... <laughs> I mean, as the guy was saying, he's like, oh, yeah, all their circulation's cut off. And I'm like, how are they able to move then? <laughs> what? Um, um, unknown um, force. Ryan, favorite non-zombie effect. It's um, it's the guy, it's the exposed brain, isn't it? Because that fucking... Oh, movie, yeah. They, 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 the, the, the nickname they gave for it is hilarious and dirty. But yeah. <laughs> um, the, uh, but th- that, that, uh, that, that effect is still unsettling. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Gosh, that was so gross. Yeah, it's wonderful. this movie was so gross, you guys. <laughs> I you warned you, all Corinne. Easy, don't watch it. I warned you. <laughs> I know you did. I was prepared, but I was not prepared. Yep, no one can prepare you for the darkest day of horror. And Ryan, can I take a moment to start my own little release of something campaign because? Sure. I'm going to address the man who owns the rights to Dawn of the Dead. So I have a collector's edition of both Night of the Living Dead and Day of the Dead. And I'm asking you, the owner of Dawn of the Dead and its rights, to cut the shit and give me a fucking U.S. release already because I'm tired of this nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> fucking tired. <laughs> like, you know, I, Ryan, I think that, you know, there's almost a point, at least for me, where it's like it becomes so gory that it, like I'm totally dissociated from the movie. Like I'm not terrified at all. I'm just grossed out. And I honestly think Night of the Living Dead, because I've never seen Dawn of the Dead, is a more effective horror movie. Because even though some of the effects are cartoonish, the horror is there. Like this, there's an impending threat, and there's yeah, there's an impending threat here. But once it actually arrives, I'm just so grossed out that I'm like, I'm not scared of these guys at all. It's just disgusting. I, I, th- I think there is an argument for that, Corinne. I still think Night of the Living Dead is the greatest horror film ever made because of um, the tensions inside the house 
and the the zombies although it's not gory i think the the threat and them constantly on the outside i think adds to it and i mean there is an argument that it's so over the top or it's so gory that it takes people out of it but at the same time i think it's um it's very effective and like it's the terror comes from the constant threat of them like you can't stop them there's too many of them and um and it's just like uh, like a Friday the 13th, you know, you can't stop Jason, but the, the machete through the head is like the exclamation point. Yeah. And there's an argument for the gore and how it develops over the course of the three different decades that these three different films are released. Night of the living dead comes out in 68 where you're still, you're still unable to really, really show the uh, amount of effects that you get then in Dawn of the dead, which up the ante um, and that audience is starting to to crave that, and there's more accessibility to showing violence on screen. By the time you get to the 80s, like the the horror genre in the 80s is dedicated to that gore system. That's where the audience has reached their capacity for or their their desire limit for more, more, more. I need like the goriest imaginable. So they kind of like incrementally, because of the times, get more intense with their gore. That in the late seventies and then the eighties, they were allowed to release unre- unrated films. That's so, true. That so like you. So got, there was no limit on what you could do. Yeah, and so you have like you know these films up the ante in order to appease the audience that they're tackling with at that moment because they're coming out like what close to six to seven years apart a piece, and mm-hmm. so and with with uh, Day of the Dead coming out like eleven years after uh, Dawn, so like the the audience is maturing quote unquote in its own way at that point. And so like that gore is necessity to sell that product. But um, like, and part of the reason we didn't get day of the dead earlier than 1980, because they made a deal with the guy who um, funded it for three pictures and they wanted to get Knight Rider and Creepshow out there first before they had to do day of the dead. Cause one of the contract terms was that it had to be a sequel to Dawn of the dead. Um, so yeah, but Great movie. <laughs> yep. um, yeah, we'll uh, we'll cheer this thing up a little bit. Next week, we're doing Film Explosion 2000. Yeah. I can't believe the year 2000 was 20 years ago. Oh, and guys, I think the world's going at... after our Film Explosion. The world's I know. Be... Since we left um, high school, we could have had a kid and they would have graduated high school again in that time. <laughs> yeah, so it's uh, quite uh, the trip. Um, so if you want to take part, please send us your list of your favorite films from 2000. We'll share them on the show. Um, and yeah. The week after that, I get to pick again. <laughs> yes. It'll be Brad's no. turn. I'll pick something horrible that no one else wants to see. And uh, hopefully it'll be as depressing as Day of the Dead. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah. Thanks for joining me on Zoom, everybody. Of course. And um See you next week. All right. Bye. Bye. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Thank you for listening to this episode of Real Nerds Podcast. Real Nerds Podcast is a production of Nebulous Visions Multimedia. Thank you to Sparks Mandrill and Plan 9 Studios for our kick-ass theme song. Also, if you're in the Denver area and you're looking for a cool place to see movies, we see them at the Alamo Draft House in Littleton and now also in Sloan's Lake. Thank you to Colorado Coins, Cards, and Comics. 
for supplying us with all our comic needs, especially you, Andrew. You know who you are. And a big shout out to James's mom. I'm giving you an electronic hug that you can feel through the airwaves. Thanks for listening and have a nice day.